0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer
1: the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
3: Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez, at the track right to the wall, gone! Andrews.
0: And 29 other MLB clubs.
3: Guerrero lifts one to left field
2: and to keep you updated and just 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 to you know open up the curtain and let you inside a's cast live things have changed a little bit no i haven't been able to get rid of cody yet but things have changed a little bit where we have been told because of our background obviously cody and i came from the terrestrial radio world what is terrestrial radio that's radio stations so I've been on FM, I've been on AM, and I've been doing it for over 30 years. And if you know my background, I've covered every team in the Bay Area. Yes, even the San Jose Sharks early in my career, I used to go into the room, as they like to talk about it, and watch the guys take put on their sweaters and play in the barn. Uh, real early in my career, KMBR, I used to be the guy that would go into the locker room I would get the sound after the game. I really wouldn't say much. I was real green. I was just happy to have a job. And then I would send all the shark sound back to KMBR. So years ago in the 90s, if you were hearing uh, Owen Nolan or Jeff Friesen or any of those guys post-game sound, yours truly got it. So I've covered obviously the A's, the Giants, the Raiders, the Niners, And the Warriors. And Delair, our new boss, has kind of given us the opportunity to go, hey, you guys do sports talk, right? You can talk about other stuff, especially once the season ends. You don't always have to talk baseball, which was like, because when we first started this thing, everybody was paranoid. It was new. Uh, You remember, Cody, when I brought Cody over from 95.7, it was like, well, you know, don't don't get off the tracks. You know, it's A's and it's baseball. And we do that. But sometimes it's nice to be able to talk about some other stuff and some interesting stuff. So Cody wants to lead these shows off about what happened yesterday in the Bay Area.
1: 14 seconds. Here comes the
2: pressure. Kyle Harmon buries him with a sack. Clock is rolling. Five
3: seconds. Three seconds. And that's it. That sound courtesy of CBS Sports. You're Spartans with a big win over the uh, winless UNLV running Rebels. But Sparty back to 4-4, four and four, looking good in the Mountain West. Although the Nick Nash touchdown they scored to, to the go-ahead 27-20, uh, the broadcaster called them San Diego State. So, yeah, uh, I, wasn't,
2: <laughs> I, I wasn't thrilled about that, but... Uh... You know, when you're playing with a backup quarterback, I mean, they should have beat San Diego State, which they lost in overtime. They were, San they State, we're better than they are. But when you're playing with your backup quarterback, I mean, it is what it is. So, to get a win on the road, I don't care. I, you know what I heard in Costco today, which bugs me? I heard these two guys, as I was in line to pay for my products, I heard these two guys at work at Costco. And I heard the dreaded, and it always drives me nuts, especially when it comes to football. I don't know what team they were talking about, but the guy threw out the, well, they haven't played anybody yet. And that—that that is just, I, I, I got to be real honest with you. It's an ignorant comment because the reality is you can only play who's on your schedule. And when you're in the NFL, this isn't college football where you make your schedule. The NFL makes your schedule for you. And I don't care who you're playing. You're playing against the biggest, strongest, fastest human beings on the planet. And everybody gets paid. Everybody's a pro. Everybody's a grown man. And anybody can beat you and when you win on the road in the winning on the road in the NFL, winning on the road anywhere is tough, but winning in the NFL, it's really tough. So I don't care what your schedule is. All right, what do you got next? Cuz by the way, Cody, I can't hear these. I don't know what the problem is. Like I don't really hear the open, I don't hear the highlights. I don't know why, through my computer, I don't hear what you're playing.
3: That's really odd. I don't. But you hear the interview is fine, which is interesting. I hear the
2: interviews fine, but I don't hear when you play cuts. All right, what do you got next?
3: Pad save made by Murray, and he's
2: got his own rebound in the corner. Dishes off to Eric Carlson. Not a Lebanc, who actually won the puck on that faceoff. He exchanges shoots. Scores! Kevin LeBanc, a rocket from the left side, and it's past Murray for a power play goal. The Sharks are up two to one.
3: That uh sound of Dan Ruzanowski from the Sharks audio network. Kevin LeBanc, power play goal, put the Sharks up 2-1. That was actually the game-winning goal. The Shark. The Sharkies are 3-0. Dare I say, the best team in the Bay Area right now, sports-wise. Uh, as we'll get to the Warriors. But 3-0. They have a, ba- they have a back-to-back today. They're playing Toronto. Uh, the Mecca in Canada, but they haven't won crap since the 60s. So uh, Toronto is um, on, up next for the Sharks. The Sharks look good to start the year.
2: So what you're saying is 82-0 and 0 is still, still out there.
3: It's a very realistic possibility right now with the Sharks. Um, Undefeated
2: start. Hey, like we say with the A's all the time, start off well and you just start banking these games. Because these games, as I say with the A's, these games count just as much as they do at the end of the season. People don't like to think about that. People like to think, oh, you know, when the A's got off to the bad start and they get whooped by Houston they're getting beat up by the Dodgers. It's not good. Losing streaks, if you get off to a bad start, you're playing catch-up the rest of the year. You do not want to do that. You want to get out to a hot start. It's so funny, like when teams lose early and everybody's like, ah, it's early then all of a sudden, the end of the season, you find yourself like four games back. Well, if you didn't play that, ah, it's early, and you got off to a good start, you wouldn't be four games back at the end of the year. You know, if the A's got off to a better start and were consistent, we wouldn't have been talking about, can they get the wild card? Can they do this? Good for the Sharks. What about the Warriors?
3: Uh, one second, sorry. All right.
1: Clippers Warriors have it attacking the basket to our right Draymond one dribble looks for Curry can't get it to him turns now bounce
2: pass out to Curry a deep three got it oh my goodness about a step and a
5: half from midcourt gives the Warriors a one-point lead with a minute 50 to go
3: 108-107 that sound uh Tim Roy Golden State Warriors radio Warriors with the big win over the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. Now I completely forgot. I thought Kawhi wasn't playing because of load management. Two games into the season, I forgot Kawhi partially tore his ACL in the playoffs last year. So no Kawhi for the Clippers. No problem for the Warriors as they win one fifteen. Like Thompson? Uh, he'll be back sometime in well. Uh, well, no, that's okay. So I get. I'm it's glad you, way over a year. I'm glad you brought him up because I was listening to stuff on the radio. Last night, and I saw some stuff on Twitter today, the NBA released their all, like, their, it's the 75th anniversary of the NBA, and they did their 75th, 75 best players of all time. So many people are triggered that Klay Thompson was listed as one of the 75 greatest players of all time.
2: Wait, who's triggered?
3: Like a, lot, like, a lot of national people are like, Clay Thompson's on this list? Why? He's not even the best player on his own team.
2: He's, was, a three time, he's a three-time NBA champion, and he's one of the greatest two guards to have ever played the game. Yeah, that's he, undeniable. He, he, if you don't think Clay, Clay Thompson's great, um, uh, is is Kevin McHale on the list?
3: I haven't seen the full list. Let me see if they have let me.
2: If Kevin McHale's on the list, well, you, was he better than Bird? Nope. Is Scottie Pippen on the list? Scottie Pippen's one of the greatest yeah. players of all time.
3: Pippen is on there. So is Dennis Rodman.
2: But wait a minute, Pippen wasn't the best player on his team. That's how, dude, the NBA people are dumb. That's why I hated covering the NBA. I'll say it. You want me to say it? I'll say it. I hated covering the NBA. NBA people to me are whack. The stuff you hear these people say, they're whack. They, the NBA, like you can find similarities between football and baseball people, you know, NBA people are in that they're 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 in their own world, man. They're they're like totally in their own world. I mean, you still got people that want to say Larry Bird wasn't great because he was white. I mean, come on, man. Seriously, Rick Barry, one of the greatest players of all. time. I, I, I can't
3: stand. The He's on the list. Rick Barry's on the. I have the list right here. I'm looking. Yeah, Rick
2: at, Barry's one of the greatest players of all time. Larry Bird's one of the greatest players of all time. There's people who there's people who bag on LeBron
3: James. That's one I, I never understand.
2: LeBron James is the greatest physical specimen we have ever seen in professional sports. Is it, I, I don't think I'm out on a limb on that one.
3: No, I think you're. I think you're spot on. He's pretty. Show
2: me, show, show me somebody else because he's really like about 280 pounds. You show me a guy who's six. Was he six eight, six nine, 280 pounds and runs the floor like that for a man? I mean, he's bigger than he's like as big as Carl Malone, but plays like a guard. Uh, it's crazy. By the way, I love this date in baseball histories at this time because of the greatness that has happened in our game. So October 22nd, the Reds beat the Red Sox in Game 7 of the 1975 World Series, one of the most famous World Series. Remember, there was, there was all kinds of rainouts, and it was at Fenway Park. The winning run came in the ninth inning when Oakland's own Joe, Joe Morgan had a single that scored Ken Griffey Sr. October 22nd, the Braves win game three of the 1991 World Series in the first fall classic game ever played in Atlanta. Mark Limke hit a walk-off single in the 12th inning to give Atlanta the victory. Everybody will remember this one. Roger Clemens throws the barrel of the shattered bat at Mike Piazza, who he had beamed in July of that season. Remember, he beamed him in the head. The Yankees go on to win game two of the 2000 fall Classic. Remember that? How Clemens just, I mean, he's a nut job. The barrel comes out and he wings it at Piazza, but claims like he thought it was a ball or something. Like he didn't have it. He didn't, His explanation was literally horrific.
3: What if that's the reason why people aren't putting him in the Hall of Fame because he threw the bat at, <laughs> at Piazza?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like Piazza didn't have the rumors of uh, doing the steroids either. I know. But-, but but you know what? You know what's not fair for Piazza is the only thing a rider saw acne on his back. And that's he never tested. He never. That's the only thing that people have on Piazza is he had acne on his back, which, by the way. Wouldn't surprise me when you're wearing uniforms and you're playing in the humidity and you're a catcher. And I mean, how much do you sweat in a day game when it's I don't I mean, the East Coast, as you grew up on the East Coast, Cody, the humidity in the summertime is brutal. You walk out of your house and you start sweating. Can you imagine catching for nine innings in that?
3: Oh, so now you want to acknowledge I grew up there. I thought it was the Midwest.
2: Well, it depends. I use Pittsburgh, whether it's for me or against me. Right now, it's for me, so I will call you the East Coast.
3: Uh, yeah, it's brutal, uh, especially if it rains. If it rains, and, and then you go outside, and it's it's nice out. Like, it rained here this morning, and I went outside, and it was eh, okay. It happens, on the, it happens on the East Coast. It's unbearable, and I can only imagine, like, that happening to Piazza. I think that happened to me as a kid, and I never took anything. It's just a normal thing. People have acne. People have acne on their skin and on their backs and their shoulders, it's it's a part of life. It happens. It's a genetic thing. Uh, well, I don't want to I don't want to be misquoted. I'm I'm not a scientist, um, but I'm sure. The I,
2: experience... I I only follow the science, and I believe everything I read on the internet.
3: So most I mean most people, a lot of guys get acne. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if Piazza had it from you know sweat causes stuff like that to happen. So I mean, I'm sure he got it from catching every day in the humidity, especially in New York. Oh,
2: New York in the summertime, brutal. Albert Pujols, on this day, hit three home runs in Game 3 of the 2011 World Series, joining Babe Ruth, who did it twice, and the great A's and Baseball Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson as the only players to do it in the Fall Classic. Now, Pablo Sandoval would do it the next year. After that in 2012, but hitting three bombs in one game in the World Series. And how about this one? The Cubs beat the Dodgers in game six of the 2016 NLCS to claim their first pennant since. If you guess this, Cody, I'm buying you dinner. The, Cubs when, play- the Cubs, when the Cubs clinched the pennant in 2016, it was their first time to clinch the pennant since this year.
3: 1947.
2: God, you were close. Nineteen forty-five.
3: I knew it was the forties. I couldn't remember what year exactly.
2: I mean, it's incredible, and we got the game tonight. Look out! I, I just, I, I, I don't think Boston's long for. I just don't think Boston's long for this deal. And you know, one of their strengths going into this year, and has not been there. Have you seen the Red Sox bullpen numbers?
3: Yeah, they're not—they're not very good.
2: <laughs> no, the the Red Sox in this series, their bullpen has a seven point seven eight ERA with five home runs allowed. The bullpen, and when your starters are are not going deep, and like it's 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 like a tale, it's like a tale of of, of two different stories here. The Astros starters are horrific. It, it's it's it whoever's starting, whether it's a real starter, it's an opener, whoever starts the game for the Astros literally is below average. It's really like at minor league level. If we went, if we found out exactly what their war was for this series, but I can tell you what their ERA is below replacement. Astros starters have a 9.20 ERA with five home runs allowed in this series. Now, what saved them? Like, Chris, how's that? How are they winning? What's their bullpen? Their bullpen with our guy, Kendall Graveman, has a 3.38 ERA. So it's starters going to stink, and then you just hope the bullpen saves you. And it's the total, Cody, the flip side. Red Sox starters have a 3.70 ERA, while their bullpen has a 7.78. So what happens is, is what this is telling you, is that the Red Sox start well, but it's the Astros who end well. And that is now what playoff baseball. I don't know if this is the future. I don't know if this is what we're going to see every year. I mean, we kind of just got to gotta take last year and this year with a grain of salt.
3: Well, we saw Framber Valdez because that game happened after our last show. He won eight strong innings for the Astros, so they really didn't have to get to their bullpen. So he he's now the twelfth guy to go at least six innings <laughs> in the postseason um, after what he did. And you're right. If you look at the what's gone on in the postseason, tonight's going to be curious because Nathan is starting for the Red Sox now, and he's pitched in relief. Now look at the last couple guys that's pitched in relief. And then they had made a start. Max Scherzer pitching relief for the Giants. He barely can make it out. He made, what, How many innings did he go? He didn't even go five innings in his next start for the Dodgers. Same thing with Julio Arias. And now you're looking at what's going to happen tonight with Nathan Avoldi. The last two games for the Dodgers and Braves were bullpen games. And you thought, okay, well, the Dodgers should beat the Braves and then the Braves should beat the Dodgers. It went the other way. The Braves won their bullpen game and the Dodgers won their bullpen game. Although the Dodgers lost Joe, uh, Joe Kelly yesterday for an injury. I think it was a right biceps injury. So he's getting replaced on the roster by David Price, which, again, still weird that David Price is not even on the roster in the postseason. But that's just something we have to watch. Now you have to see Evoldi go up against uh, Luis Garcia, who also got taken out of his start, his last start in Game 2 with an injury. So how long is he going to go tonight? But Houston is playing at home, and that's a a distinct advantage for them, because they are so good at home. All
2: righty. If Dusty Baker can get the Astros to the World Series, he joins a very exclusive club. Managers to win the pennant in both leagues. Do you want to crack at it, or do you just want me to give it to you?
3: I I think I can name a few of them. All right.
2: Uh, Yogi Berra. Yogi did it with the Yankees and the Mets. Jim Leland. Smoking Jim did it with the Marlins and the Tigers. Dick Williams. The great Dick Williams did it with the A's, the Red Sox, and the Padres.
3: Uh, Sparky. Sparky Sparky Anderson
2: Anderson did it with the Reds and the Tigers. Joe Madden. Joe Madden did it with the Rays and the Cubs. Who's your
3: really good friend? Tony LaRusa. Did it with the A's and the Cardinals. Uh, okay, so what do I have, six? You um, got two more.
2: One guy, one guy, one of the guys you're missing managed the A's. There's three different A's on this list, by the way. Larusa, Dick Williams, and this guy. Um, that Al Dark? The great Alvin Dark did it with the Giants and the A's. And your last one? Oh, I have no idea. Joe McCarthy did it with the Cubs and the Yankees. That's a pretty – and I and I do think Houston's going to move on, unfortunately. Um, that's a pretty impressive list. Yeah, that's Over a who's who. Joe, <laughs> Joe McCarthy, Alvin Dark, Yogi Barrett, Dick Williams, Sparky Anderson, Tony La Russa, Jim Leland, and Joe Madden. Only Dick Williams, the Hall of Famer, the great A's manager, 72-73, only Dick Williams—he's the only guy to do it with three different franchises: Red Sox, A's, Padres. Yes, and that's why he's in the Hall of Fame.
3: That's that—that that is incredible. Too bad, too bad uh, Tony wasn't able to do it with the White Sox this year. Too bad Jim Leland could never do it with Pittsburgh. Um, and thanks, thanks a lot, Barry Bonds. But if, if if they was able to do that, that list would be longer. I mean, Tony still has a chance to get there if Dusty sure, does it yeah, this year. I mean, if he. I mean, because he's going to be back next year. It's official. Tony's back with the White Sox next year. I can
2: see Tony doing this for the next couple of years. I mean, he's like, I mean, think about it. You're at an age. What is he? 76. Yeah. I think he might've, he might've just turned 77 to be honest. I mean, what the hell does he have to lose? I mean, he just doesn't want to sit at home anymore. His kids are grown. I mean, sure. He's got grandkids, but I mean, at what point if you're Tony LaRusso, you're like, hell, I'm 77 years old. I got nothing better to do. Why not manage? They're gonna have me, and they're they're gonna listen to me. And I mean, if you saw him in the, if you saw Tony in the final game when um, Abreu got hit by Graveman, and Tony came out, he was throwing more f bombs, and he was livid. <laughs> he still got a lot of spirit left. So good, good, good on you. Who's who's to say you're too old? I mean, we I, we had okay. We've all had if your grandparents live long enough. You start to see slippage, right? I got to see it with three of my grandparents, where you know the you know you know the the brain is spinning, but they, they it just it's just not firing on all cylinders and getting that thought to your mouth. It's just not sharp like it used to be, and they start to slow down. We interviewed Tony Larusa at the end of the season. Remember, the White Sox came really really late. And Tony was as sharp as ever. You, you, I mean, you see when somebody is different. I mean, and I'm not bagging on anybody right now, but if you just go back 10 years and look at Joe Biden's interviews and look at Joe Biden now, he's not the same guy. And that's what happens with age. I saw it with my, my, grandma, my grandmother. My grandmother, who was married to the baseball player, Bob Elliott, my grandfather, first third baseman ever to be the MVP have the MVP trophy at my house right now. My grandmother was so sharp, but by the time she hit like 80, 81, you could just see it's not the same. I did not see that in Tony. So as long as Tony's enjoying it, as long as Tony has all his faculties and the players are listening to him, I mean, at some point, why wouldn't you want to play for a guy like Tony? I mean, Tony, Tony is a player's manager. He backs his guys. Everybody thinks he's like this crazy, hard ass. I don't buy that. I mean, why wouldn't you want to play with Tony? Now, history, by the way, is not on Dusty Baker's side, but this team's a different animal. I mean, it's some. Hey, if. Where will you put the Houston Astros if they win the World Series? They've been to the the ALCS, what, five straight years?
3: Five straight, and it's, if they make the World Series, it'll be three out of five.
2: Okay, three out of five World Series, and you win two of them? I mean, this is kind of like, you know, I know the A's won all three, and they won three in a row. This is kind of like how the A's run went, right? You know, it was, 70, it was 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. I mean, that's you start getting into some, you know, the big red machine. You start getting into this territory. I mean, Yankees have done it a bunch, but you start getting into this territory where you make three out of five World Series and every single year you're in the ALCS at some point now. And I'm going to mention this with Chris Russo because we taped the mad dog. I like to call him the goat uh, earlier today. But every good story has what? A villain. Got to have a villain. You gotta have a villain. That's why the Yankees are always great for for television. You either hit, you, they move the needle, you either love them or you hate them. Dallas Cowboys, for years. That's unfortunately the Raiders kind of became irrelevant because they don't win. But back in the day, that was the Raiders. They were the bad guys. They were the pirates coming into town, pillaging just for fun. On wind as a pirate. Right. Yeah. You gotta have sports, you gotta have the bet. Like, remember, the Lakers showtime. You either loved it or you hated it. Right? Boston Celtics. No one liked the Boston Celtics. Because they were kicking everybody's, you know what? You think people in New York you know what's funny? Is like everybody remembers Jordan. Oh, it's Jordan. You think people in New York like Jordan? You think people in Boston, you look at the East, do you think people in Detroit like Jordan? They hated him. Boston hated him. New York hated him. They didn't like Jordan. You got to have the villain. And the villain, like a Jordan, like a cheater, you know, like a Roger Staubach, the, the villain can also be the guy everybody loves.
4: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Because every single night, you could, I mean, everybody has TBS on cable. I mean, every single night, you could watch the greatest pitching staff or one of them of all time. I mean, you almost kind of take it for granted. Like, oh, just Maddox is pitching tonight. Well, well tomorrow's Glavin. Uh, the day after that, it's, it's, it smolts. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, we talk about all the big three, Hudson, Mulder, Zito. I mean, come on, man. These three guys are in the Hall of Fame.
3: Uh, they were the uh, the real big three, and that's no. The real big three. The, the, I mean, and those guys were, I mean, everyone knows my uh, my love for Greg Maddox. Do uh, you think
2: everybody really does know?
3: Uh, if you know me well enough, you know that I love Greg Maddox. Do
2: you think everybody knows? Do you think everybody walks around and goes, you know Cody was a big Greg Maddox guy?
3: Uh, well, if you don't know that, then well, you now you know. My favorite player of all time is Ichiro. So there you go. Uh,
2: Ichiro's your favorite player of all time. I
3: just, I just enjoyed watching him play. The arm, the, the the ability to hit the ball either way. I mean, the guy was an incredible player, and he didn't have to hit home runs to to get people excited.
2: It's like something out of Star Wars.
3: I will be in Cooperstown in 2025 when Ichiro most likely goes in on the first ballot, unless there's. Have you been
2: to Cooperstown?
3: Uh, yes, I went there once. The, the, uh, like, two yeah, months. You're a little
2: kid, though, right?
3: I was ten. Yeah. It was. It was. A, it was a few months after. You like... know what?
2: I'll go with you because I've been. Because my favorite player. Who's my favorite player all time?
3: Uh, George Brett.
2: So when George went in, and also he was going in with another one of my favorite players all time, Nolan Ryan. And so I went back in 99 to watch Nolan. How about this class? And I wasn't a big, you know, Robin Yount, you respect him. Like, he's a great player, two-time MVP. You see him in the All-Star game. I mean, I didn't see a lot of Robin Yount, obviously. I mean, it's not like, you know, when I was growing up, you could really see a lot of Brewers games. But how about this Hall of Fame class? George Brett, Nolan Ryan, Robin Yount, and then the Veterans Committee guy was Orlando Cepeda. Is that, is that any good? Cha-cha? I mean, when you're veterans community. I mean, Orlando Cepeda had an amazing career. That guy was a great player. It's the reason why he's in the Hall of Fame. But Nolan Ryan, George Pratt, Robin Yount, that's pretty good. It's one of the most all-time attended. It's awesome. You know what I got to see? So we were there the night before. And so you're standing outside the Baseball Hall of Fame. And they have this dinner for the Hall of Famers the night before. And everybody gathers around. So it's one, the one main street there in Cooperstown that leads to the Hall of Fame. They just line it. It's like a parade. And every Hall of Famer that time, I don't know how it is every year, but when I was there, they all were in these like little trolley cars. And they all pull up. They get out. Everybody takes pictures. It's like the Oscars, right? And everybody gets out. Stan Musial gets out. The late, great Stan Musial. Ray Fossey's favorite player of all time. Stan Musial got out and played the harmonica for the crowd. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. You want to talk about living, you want to talk about at that time a living legend. Stan Musial is, you know, when you talk about Hall of Famers and then there's Hall of Famers, he's one of those Hall of Famer, but yet an extra level Hall of Famer, Stan Musial.
3: You mean, you mean, and, the, guy, you mean, you mean the guy that had as many hits on the road as he did at home?
2: I mean, his, his stats are incredible. His career in St. Louis was incredible. But Stan Musial entertained the crowd playing the harmonica. And as he's playing the harmonica, you can see the trolley cars start stacking up. But who's going to push Stan Musial out of the way playing the harmonica for the crowd? All those other guys can wait in their trolley cars. Stan Musial is performing for the crowd and i don't even think i had a cell phone like it's not like people had cell phones were taking pictures you know no one was taking video of it maybe people had a video camera but we didn't have cell phones then right 99 i don't think i had a cell phone in 99
3: yeah, cell phones were around but they weren't as big they didn't start getting big for a couple more years
2: they didn't have video on them yep, they were like no. those crappy
3: little flip phones i don't even think i don't even think they were flip phones yet i think that's... You think we were that evolved yet? Yeah, because
2: I was the original when I was doing the morning show on KMBR, which I think I started like in 2000. I, I was the singular wireless guy, and they sent me a new phone every month to promote. I had the very first Blackberry. Do you know what color the very first Blackberry was? Blue. It was
3: blue. I had a Blackberry. No, I had a Blackberry, not then, but I had one. That was my first smartphone.
2: But the very first BlackBerry was like a was like a square and the screen was was permanently kind of flipped up. So it was like you couldn't it wasn't flat. So it was tough to put it in your pocket. But I had the very first BlackBerry, all those phones. So they'd send me a new phone every month. All of them would be broken within a couple of weeks. They were terrible. They were so <laughs> poorly made. And I was like, Chris here for singular wireless. Da-da-da-da. I've had the same phone number. That's why I probably get more spam than the average person. I've had the same phone number since 2000. Think about that. Basically what? 21 years. 21 years with the same phone number? How many times do you think my phone number's been sold on a list?
3: Oh, yeah. Probably a lot. I mean, if you th- if I think about it now, I got my first cell phone in high school. Uh, but I think I've had the same cell phone number since 2004 or five. I bought my wife her first phone when we were dating. It was this
2: tiny little kind of flip thing. It was only for emergencies. Like if something happens with the car, she had like 14 hours on it that she could talk. But you had (laughs) no one to call because not everybody – I mean,
3: who are you going to call? No one's got a phone. You're talking about either phone cards or track phones where you have – you can remember when phones you had a – you only had like – you only had a certain amount of time. It's like, yeah, you have 14 – you have 14 hours, and once those hours are up, you can't use the phone again until you, yeah. you buy more minutes.
2: <laughs> but then, like, you used to have those old, like, either drug dealer or military, those brick phones that you would see, like, on Miami Vice that people would have, like, in their car. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't even know what it would cost to uh, actually – I mean, it, cost, it was, like, some crazy amount per minute. But like rich people like to show off these crazy huge phones. You're, do you ever watch Miami Vice back in the day? Yeah, I know what
3: you're talking about. I want I, like one of my favorite movies to watch is The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and and um, um. Why am I drawing like Harrison Ford and uh, Tommy Lee Jones? And in the movie, Harrison Ford is a doctor and he's driving in his car. The movie was filmed in like 1993. He's driving around with a car phone. They had car phones back then. Like literally, the phone was in your car. But just thinking about back then, and like it was in the eighties, big
2: military looking thing.
3: No, his was, but those phones were around. But his was actually like it was like a it, it was actually a phone was like a, it wasn't even hands free. It was just in the car. But yes, the military looking ones they were like literally from your ear down to way past your chin. That's how big they are. I know what you're talking. About. I'm surprised that with the way that um everyone does these uh, trends now on TikTok. I'm surprised those phones aren't back yet. To be honest, with with how everything's going. But I was looking at that Hall of Fame class for 2025. And the first year guys, uh, there's not many that are going to get in. There might be, each might be the only guy that gets in. The only other guy that could go in with him on their first ballot. I doubt he goes in the first ballot. The only other guy that could be there is CC Sabathia. Ooh. He's a very compelling case. Ooh.
2: I, I'm a big CC guy. I, if I have a vote, I'm voting for him.
3: So here's the guys that are. That guy,
2: you know, you know what he's got? He's got it. Yeah, he was I, I I will I will forever love me some CC Sabathia. What he did in Milwaukee going in a free agent year, that man's got a heart of a lion. A heart of a lion. King of the jungle. That man took the ball on three days rest over and over again heading into a free agent year. No way Scott Boris is his agent. Scott Boris would have freaked out. Maybe he is. I don't know.
3: No, it's not. His current agent is Rock Nation. There's
2: no way. I mean, he went into a free agent year and said, I don't care. I'm about winning. And because he did that, he got paid. The Yankees went, I want that guy. That guy's a bull. I want him. And I know as he got older, like everybody else, you start to lose the stuff. I'm voting CC Sabathia. If I had a vote, yay or nay, first ballot, you're damn right. I'm voting for CC Sabathia, and I'm not playing the Vallejo local kid. That's not that's great, but that's not why I'm voting for him. I'm not playing Bay Area Homer. I'm voting for CC Sabathia because he's got he's got the will. I love. I, I- what I saw what, what he did in Cleveland, then in Milwaukee, and then of course Yankees, two thousand nine. Uh, wouldn't you vote for him?
3: Oh yeah. I told you I I'm in love with what he did with the Brewers that year when he came over. I'm looking at those numbers this year from that year. On with three days rest, he did, he only started three games, but on four days rest. So literally he won it started the day early. That's he did it 18 times that year. Eight, 18 times. He was nine and four. With a two seven one ERA, one hundred twenty seven strikeouts over one hundred thirty six and a third innings, the the and the Brewers got into, the Brewers get in the playoffs that year. Yeah, they did. They got in the playoffs that year, and C, and then CC signed that big contract with the Yankees a year later. So those are just those are two of the guys, and then some of the guys that are still on that that could still be on that ballot. Uh, Billy Wagner, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, Manny,
2: I, I have no problem with that.
3: Manny Ramirez is on there. He, he's not getting it. Nope. Scott Rowland is a compelling case, too. Uh,
2: fringy. He's fringy for me.
3: Uh, Omar Vizquel is not getting in. Um, no. It's not because of what he did on the field. Uh, Andrew Jones is also an interesting one, but I don't no. when I, Hall of Famer, defensively. Uh, Todd no. Helton, I think he's a very good player. I don't know if he gets in.
2: God, his stat, it's the Coors Field thing. I mean, his stat, if, 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 if he did what he did, let's just say, pick a town. Florida. He's a Hall of Famer.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have his, yeah, his right numbers.
2: Here. His Hall of Fame. His numbers are. All, I, I. I'm wondering if the Larry Walker effect will help Todd Helton. I would vote for Todd Helton. I think Todd Helton was a great player. He was a great defender. I would. I would vote Todd Helton.
3: Good quarterback at Tennessee, and then Peyton Manning came along, uh, and then you got a couple guys like Andy Pettit. Your guy Bobby Abreu. Uh, Hawks. Oh, no. Hawks' favorite. Hawks' favorite pitcher of all time, Mark Burley. No. <laughs> And then like Torrey Hunter and Tim Hudson. Then A Rod will be in his fourth year.
2: Torrey Hunter, by the way, Hall of Fame guy.
3: Yeah, he's a good guy. Tor-
2: Torrey Hunter's a hell. Of- let, let, let me get let me, let me give you something that. When you look at CC Sabathia's numbers, if you don't respect this, CC Sabathia showed up in Cleveland at the age of twenty years old. Okay. C.C. Sabathia went 17-5 and at the age of 20 years old and 33 starts. I want you to think about that. He's 20 years old, and he started 33 times. I'm going to go over his game started. Forget wins, forget ERA, forget all that stuff. He went, these are his starts, 33, 33, 30, 30, 31, 28. 34, 35, 34, 34, 33, 28, 32. Had the the issues with alcohol, so he had a shortened season in 2014. Comes back 29, 30, 27, 29, and then at the age of 38, 22. C.C. Sabathia averaged over 30 starts for his career a year for 19 years. I want you to think about that. Did he win a Cy Young? Yes. Was he an all-star? Yes. Did he get MVP votes? Yes. But the most important thing that you can do as a starting pitcher is take the ball every five days, if not four or three days. CC is one of the most reliable starters in the history of the game, especially in modern-day baseball. That's not a debate. If you can find somebody of his equal, look at all those 34, 33, every year from the time he's 20 to the time he's 38, he's taking the ball every single turn. Do you know the value in that? Right, Cody? That there they, I don't even need to go to any analytics. That's the thing. C.C. Sabathia took the ball every year over and over and over again, and there's a tremendous value in that.
3: I think that what he's done over his career is incredible. And it all for me, again, it always goes back to his career with what he did with Milwaukee. And the ability to start 30 games or more every single year. I remember watching one of his first starts as a kid when he played, it was they were on Sunday night baseball when he was with Cleveland. And I remember that and he wasn't going by CC then. They were actually calling him by his his given name, which um, is what is his given name? It's uh, I have no idea. It should be on his. It should be at the top of the baseball reference page. Um, I can tell you made two hundred and sixty million. <laughs> Karst, uh, Karsten Charles Sabathia. Carson huh? Charles Sabathia. So, yeah, I I think he's a Hall of Famer. You know, again, I think differently than a lot of the writers do. So there's a no, big difference. I th-
2: I, 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 he's going in.
3: There's a no- there's one more guy before we get to to a guy that knows a lot about He's the hall of. He's got
2: 251 fans. wins.
3: It's also pretty imp- pretty impressive.
2: I mean, I, I I I can't imagine anyone. You 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 actually think he won't go
3: in? Oh no, I think he goes in. I just don't think that there's going to be. Some- Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't a unanimous hall. There were so many guys who weren't unanimous. Derek Jeter wasn't a unanimous Hall of Famer. You think there's gonna be there's gonna be someone out there where CC's around you just, like you
2: just need seventy five percent. That's all you need.
3: You know there's gonna be one guy around there that CC's like seventy four percent and he'll vote no.
2: Whatever. You just need seventy five percent to get in.
3: So he'll so, get it. One last one before we get to a guy that knows a lot about the Hall of Fame: Mad Dog Chris Russo. So I was looking at Billy Wagner. There's a guy on here that's gonna be in his third uh, in twenty twenty five. Will be in his third year on the ballot. He has 437 career saves, 52 career wins, a 286 career ERA, two time reliever of the year, six time All Star, where Billy Wagner was a seven time All Star and only won reliever of the year once, and he only had 422 saves. This guy had 437. Who is player A?
2: Oh, I didn't. I was actually looking at Billy Wagner's stats. What? Didn't I say that again.
3: So this guy had 437 saves a two eighty six career ERA, um, 1,142 strikeouts, 52 career wins, six-time All-Star, two-time Roll-Aids Reliever of the Year. Did he go to St. John's? No, it's not John Franco. I was going to say John Franco. Who is it? It's the great Francisco K. Rod Rodriguez. Oh, God, I don't like him. But he has a. I to me, I think he has a good – I mean – yeah, he's got a case. But, again, we, we hate putting relievers in the Hall of Fame.
2: But yeah, what is it? Can we get over that, me being a former reliever? Can we get over that?
3: I think you put Billy Wagner in him. I mean, I, I want Billy. I think Billy Wagner be, be, go, should go in for what he's did as a left-handed reliever and a left-handed closer.
2: Yeah, dude, the guy's pitching 70-something times a game.
3: And, he's, and he was throwing 100 back in a time where 100 was very rare <laughs> back in like, that day in baseball. <laughs>
2: If you play 162 games and you're factoring in 70-something of them, that's a pretty high percentage. You play a big part in the team's role of being good when you're when you're out there, you know, high 60s, 70s. I mean, you pitch 70-something games in a year. Do you know how valuable you are?
3: I mean, K-Rod, the year that he set the saves record, 62, he pitched in 76 games that year. He pitched in 70 games three different times, in his, four different times in his career, and he had a bunch of 69, 66s, and high 60s. The guy pitched in a lot of games for the Angels and then you know, later in his career with the Mets and the Brewers. So, I mean, he's I, – I think that he should get a lot of consideration. I mean, he led the league in saves three different times, and he obviously set the saves record as well. You know it's a good question for Billy Wagner?
2: Is why did you retire? At the age of 38, he had a 1.43 ERA, 37 saves, and was 7-2. Why would you retire? And he had 104 strikeouts and 69 and a third at 38 years old. Why would you retire? I don't know. I mean, he could have kept on pitching. Hey, Matt, it's great to have you back on the program. How are you there in the Northeast?
1: Ah, uh, surviving, Chris. It's, uh, you know, fall has settled in here. We, we've we had a very warm fall so far, but it definitely feels like fall now. And with, um, you know, these AL and NLCS uh, battles kind of in full swing it and, you know, you're watching games and it's late, unlike the experience you guys have in the West. We're watching games and it's, you know, because postseason baseball is what it is. It's, you look up, it's 1140 and the game's in the bottom of the fifth. So that's, that's kind of where we're at but it's good
2: you know before we get into the baseball um you know obviously tragic our man Ray Fosse passing away and it was very very emotional for all of us we did a uh, a farewell three-hour show to honor our very good friend because we loved him to death and I thought we did him well on Friday and we know it's very very tough for his family it's very very tough for our family the A's family and as a guy that grew up watching him play as a guy who grew up a lifelong fan. You watched him broadcast, you listening to him on the radio, you saw him on television. I know this wasn't easy for you either.
1: No. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to add much that hasn't already been said. Cause I know that you had a cavalcade of guests and people that, that have been close to Ray for a long time. Um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of echo what Vince Catronio uh, told me on the phone, and I'm sure he shared it with you and, and your listeners as well. And that's that, you know, if anybody could have just relied on who he was because of his role in franchise history, it would have been Ray. He played on the great Finley's Heroes teams, he was around to watch the Bash Brothers teams and Tony's great successes. In the late 80s and early 90s, and he's been in the booth for everything since then. So, I mean, if anybody could have just relied on that alone and been fine broadcasting games, it would have been Ray. What made him different is that he loved it so much. He loved the game and the craft so much that he always worked. He always, he was always on the field. He always had stuff. It was never when I played. Oh, back in the day. Oh, and he never put it into easy mode. And I think, you know, viewers, now that he's gone, uh, maybe it becomes a, more of a stark realization that he was just absolute gold that way. Um, and boy, it's a short list of guys that occupy that kind of role with their franchise, who, who went seamlessly from player with exalted, you know, vintages of the team a broadcaster Keith Hernandez with the Mets is in that category there's there's just a few of them man and and we lost a good one and um I think everybody is uh still in a little bit of a state of shock and saddened by it and the fact that we're never going to see him again is um is awful and um I know he'll be remembered fondly forever and uh I'll miss the guy too I still have texts and voicemails from him and uh it's um it's, it stinks. It's really sad, but uh, we'll remember him for being a great guy and a, a, just a, a great part of the franchise history.
2: Yeah, I dubbed him the face of the franchise and he always laughed at it, but I said, Ray, you're the one guy that can take us from the 70s through the 80s through the 2000s to where we are today. You're like the one guy that brings all A's fans of all ages together and And there's never going to be anybody like that. And I think it's one of the things that I'm very proud to work here. But I think you, as a fan, will understand this that, you know, you got guys like Steve Vucinich, who's just retiring after what, 54 years. You got people that have been around here 40, 30, 20 something years. And you go to other sports organizations, I don't care NFL, NBA, hockey, we're just different than everybody else. It is like a tight knit family. And I think that's kind of what makes the Oakland A's who the Oakland A's are. And that's what you grew up loving as a kid.
1: Yeah, man, it's true. Uh, the, those guys, those characters that can um, spin the stories and confirm or deny things that we've heard and read about. I mean, I'll, I'll give an example with Ray. And I think I, you and I had talked about this on one of your shows previously. The story uh, of the A's World Series celebration party in 73 when um at my uncle's restaurant in alameda uh the a's were together with their wives and um campy was a little pissed off that reggie won series mvp honors (laughs) and they everybody had some cocktails and campy ended up grabbing a knife that was on the table and made a lunge at reggie i mean Good Lord, like this is the kind of story we need confirmation on. And Ray confirmed it for me. He was the guy you could go to. Hey, Ray, did this really happen? And he'd tell you. He didn't want it broadcast necessarily because he respected his teammates and didn't want stuff on the street. But he'd share things with you personally. And I asked him about that. He's like, yeah, it happened. I was like, oh, my God. Because I think he and Joe Rudy were two of the guys that had to pull Campy off of Reggie. I don't think he was going to murder him with the knife, but he you know, he made a move at him like, hey, I'll cut you, like one of those <laughs> I mean, that stuff's great. Those A's teams would have been the worst with Twitter.
2: <laughs> Twitter would have ate them alive.
1: Could you imagine? <laughs> Everything would have been – all that stuff would have been shattered with Twitter, the way it is now, by the way, too. The current, current uh, nomenclature does not escape the ravages of Twitter. But, God, those teams would have been, you're right, destroyed.
2: You know, you, you talk about being on the East Coast and these games. I mean, seriously, I mean, that one day where there's three games, I sat on my couch. I said, I'm going to watch all three of these because, of course, I got to talk about it. It was like over 12 hours of sitting on my couch. I mean, these games are anywhere from almost four hours to well over four hours. And with all these walk offs, Matt, it's kind of like you can tell people, hey, just tune in for like the last 45 minutes. And that's all you need to know.
1: Yeah, kind of like watching the NBA every night, right? Just watch the last five minutes a clock expire, and that's the, You're you're good on the game. You know the 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 common uh, enemy, and it's wrong. I, I love shooting holes in this when I have uh, an opportunity to, as I do with you. A lot of people attribute the length of postseason games to the extra time on commercials. And true, we're talking about an additional 30 seconds. You go from just under two minutes. Of a commercial break to just over 230. So that does add up. But it's the way the game is played that adds to that length. The only series that's kind of moved along like normal baseball should is this Braves Dodger series. The Giants Dodger series, the Rays Red Sox series, what's happening now with the Astros and Red Sox. I mean, you look up and it's full count city. Every plate appearance seems to go five plus pitches. You got guys stepping out. You got guys stepping off. Um, You know, the three batter minimum really has not expedited pace of play the way a lot of people, including myself, thought it would. So, yeah, it's the way the games are played. And you really can't complain about it the way you'd like to because everything's at stake here. This is the postseason. So, I'm not going to begrudge a guy working slowly on the mound in a game where everything is hanging in the balance. Now, if it's May 29th and it's a six run game and he's doing that in the bottom of the eighth inning, now I have a problem with the guy. But in the postseason, everything's out there and the games just take a lot longer.
2: Well, I'll tell you this. And I said this before this series because being here in the Bay Area, everybody was like, well, whoever wins between the Dodgers and the Giants that now becomes the favorite. And I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. There is a hot team coming to the postseason, and that's the Atlanta Braves. And we got two really good friends on that team who are longtime A's and both come on this program, whether it's my guy Ron Washington or who we just had last week. We had Walt Weiss on, who I know you're very fond of. We had Walter Weiss on right before the series. And both of them said, look out. This team has come together, and here you go. The Atlanta Braves are heading to L.A., up to zip.
1: Yeah, man. They're a live dog right now. I was one that thought if they could steal game one, they had a puncher's chance. Uh, not too many people gave him a chance to beat Scherzer yesterday, but man, he's worked a lot this postseason. And he didn't get through five. Um, it was a matter of one swing that expedited his day. Everybody thinks as soon as Julio Urias comes into the game, it's going to be game six of last year's World Series all over again, where he takes you the rest of the way and shuts out the opponent to win. That didn't happen. Uh, And then the matchup that ended the game, man, Eddie Rosario versus Kenley Jansen. That was not a good matchup for the Dodgers. As good as Kenley is, uh, Rosario's hot. He's hitting everything. He's kind of the Braves answer to Kike Hernandez, who's hitting everything right now. By the way, Kike Hernandez, I just read this today. He could go 0 for the rest of the series. 0 for tonight, rather, because tonight's the night. He could go 0 for tonight and still set a major league record for the most hits in six straight games in a postseason. He's just, he's a different guy right now. So, yeah, there's great performances happening. Uh, the Braves are live dogs, which I think everybody in the Bay Area is happy about because nobody in, uh, in Northern California wants to see the Dodgers move any farther. It's been a lot of fun so far.
2: No doubt. And then you just got two beasts in the Astros and the Red Sox heading back to Fenway Park, which, you know, Ray Fossey would say all the time, maybe the toughest 27 outs to get home team or road team playing at Fenway Park.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tonight's going to be a huge swing game. Um, it's a weird one. Uh, E-Rod, Eduardo Rodriguez had a really – his last one was really good – his first postseason appearance this year was not. If you look at the, uh, the Astros' numbers against him, there is some damage up and down. Uh, and I just, man, I don't, this is such a coin flip game. I have no idea how to handicap it. Uh, I got it right in front of me. Correa, 10 for 6. Altuve, 5 for 13. Bregman, 5 for 12 with two homers. They're, the big boys eat against him. Uh, on the other side, Jose Urquidy was supposed to go game 4 of the White Sox series until it got rained out and then they went back to McCullers. So Orkeady hasn't even pitched in the postseason. Most people seem to think, Chris, this is going to be another high scoring game, and I I would probably agree, even though it's cold tonight in Boston, different circumstances, I don't see a I don't see a low scoring close game. I think it's going to be high scoring tonight.
2: That's why I love your guys' notes. So it marks the 24th time in 52 ALCSs that the game's been tied 2-2, and whoever wins game three is won 18 times, which is 78% of the time. I love the MLB notes. You guys come up, and it'll be networked with some of the the greatest stuff. And, and I want to get in with this before we let you go and before we get into Sunday Night Baseball. When we were a kid, everybody said there's no momentum in baseball because it's next day's starting pitcher is your momentum. I don't even know who's a starter anymore. I don't even know how this works. I mean, you got the greatest starters in the world, guys who are going to the Hall of Fame, as you mentioned, with Scherzer can't even go five innings. I mean, the whole starting pitching thing, what does it mean anymore?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that old axiom used to apply when a team would get its, its brains beaten in and the next day you come back with Catfish Hunter. Okay, so the momentum's dead. But now uh, it, it does seem to carry over because a bad day for a pitching staff is gonna affect the next day's pitching staff because you know the starter's not capable of going seven plus. So it's all hands on deck. And I, I you know, I'm not the first or the last to say this, but the more the more moves that are made in a game, the more it favors an offensive outcome. Because if you think you're gonna attack a playoff game and yeah, we're gonna we're going to start with an opener, and then we're going to match up, and we're probably going to use six or seven guys. If you think all six or seven of those guys are going to be clean, then good luck, because they're not. Somebody's going to pick up probably more than one, just one guy, and then you get, and then it spirals out of control. So I think that it's going to be that kind of night tonight. Um, Rodriguez should go a little farther. I'm not sure how, much, how long or Keedy goes tonight for the Astros. And the next two nights are going to be the same story in this series. They're all going to be high-scoring games, I think. Well,
2: let's end on this. I was sad to hear that you're going to be leaving Sunday Night Baseball, but then I realized, wait a minute, that means he's going to be doing more Angels baseball. That means we're going to get you in Oakland more now. So it's sad that you're leaving, but it's also our game.
1: Uh, Well, it's nice of you to say. um, Yeah, man, four years of doing that was great. I enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, I love I love the craft of doing games. What I don't love is is being away from my family for 30 weekends in the summer and spring. And uh, it just it just wasn't something I could see continuing and and staying happy on a personal level. I like being home. And if the pandemic taught me anything, it's that I like being home. uh, And those those times are rare that you can spend quality moments with your family, not to sound too sappy and, 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 and anything like that. But it's it's true. That's how I feel. And if I can still do games, which I can with the Angels and and to a lesser degree at MLB Network, um, and not travel as much, then I'm all about it. And ESPN was was good. And that franchise is solid. And they'll be just fine moving forward.
2: I know exactly how you feel. People ask me all the time, do I miss working for the Raiders and traveling with the Raiders? And even though that was only, you know, nine games, cause we never went to the playoffs, but it was only nine games, eight regular season, one preseason. And I'm like, man, being gone every weekend throughout October and November and December and being away from my family and coming home late Sunday night in the middle of the night. It's like, I, I it was great to experience the NFL for those years, but now it's like, man, I can play golf. I can be with my family. I took my kids yeah. to Top Golf yesterday. Uh, it's just that if there's something about the experience that's wonderful, but then there's the relief that you get once it's done. It's hard to explain. It's
1: true. No, it's real. It's really no. It's well put. And and you know, you feel like you've accomplished something. Did it? It's it. You know, next person can do it now, and I'll still be watching, of course. And and it's all good, man.
2: And we can't wait to have you on the field at the Coliseum. It'll be great.
1: Yes, sir. Looking forward to it, Chris.
2: Well, hey, continued success, buddy. It's great to hear your
3: voice and be well and be safe. And let's talk soon. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Chris, thanks,
1: man. Always good visiting with you. Thanks, bud.
3: Oh, the pitching ninja's wanting to join the room. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of how that works. It was very fascinating. Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja.
2: Is he joining via camera or just by phone today?
4: I think I'm on camera.
2: Oh, there he is. What's happening, my oh, man?
4: I love you of my good-looking face. Come on, man.
2: Are you, is that the A's pitching ninja <laughs> it hat? It is the
4: A's pitching ninja hat. I'm wearing it just for y'all.
2: I want to tell you, the other night, Friday night, San Jose State, San Diego State. Uh, game, I'm coming down towards the end of the game. Guy turns around, has a has the, uh sil- it, it was like the gray, pitching ninja hat and I go pitching ninja and the guy goes yeah you know I go of course I know (laughs) yeah come on we go back a long way who doesn't know who the pitching ninja is (laughs) yeah exactly so what have you thought so far the pitching in the postseason
4: I think it's been I mean it's been phenomenal it's keeping me up late for one I mean I don't get the luxury of being on the west coast so it's tough
2: yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, for you guys, I can't even imagine when these games are four hours, four and a half hours. I mean, we're cool because it's ending like at like, you know, like 10 o'clock. <laughs> for you guys, you got to stay up all night long.
4: No, but it's been great. Like, what do you think? I mean, I've been having a lot of fun.
2: I just, I just, four hours is a long time. You know what I mean? Is. It's, just, it's just, and I understand, I, I understand guys are trying to win games. Like, I get it. And everybody, we don't even know my whole thing today has been, I don't even know what a starter pitch starting pitcher is anymore. I mean, we, I I asked Cody this, I'll ask you if you had a set for every game, let's say it's an actual true starting pitcher. What's the over and under you would set if you were Vegas on innings.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's like four or five right now. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's tough. Well, I mean, but everybody's pushed to the limit. So they're like giving all they can in little bursts, I guess. And, you know, the Dodgers have a really deep bullpen. The Braves bullpen's been real good. Um, yeah, they're trying to win games. But, yeah, it's it's brutal. The pitching changes and stuff, no doubt. Like, uh, especially when you have a pitcher that's doing his warm-ups on the mound, going through the whole thing. Um, it's, it can It can be time-consuming
2: yeah but i understand i mean we we want these guys to get up there and huff and puff and blow your house down and they're trying to get everybody out and it's one thing that i you know i wish the a's had a bunch of guys like that unfortunately we don't but if you're a team that does these guys are weapons why not utilize them as much as you can because wouldn't you say because the day offs that we have in baseball that we normally don't have during the regular season you're able to reset the deck
4: exactly right i mean i think that that's that's exactly the thing and if you look at like, even during the regular season, I kind of got excited when the Dodgers were doing a bullpen game because they have so many guys that they can roll out there that I'm like, for my content, like, if you're just speaking <laughs> about pitching ninja, I get good stuff when the Dodgers are pitching. I mean, it's awesome. Um, I understand as a normal fan, you're like, oh, who is this guy? Like, who is this Blake Trinan guy? And then everybody's like, wait, he's the filthiest pitcher I've ever seen. Like, there was literally somebody on Twitter who, who said, I don't know who this Blake Trinan guy is, but. He is the nastiest pitcher I have ever seen. And I'm like, I think we all have seen that over the years. Uh, But, yeah, some people are just opening their eyes now.
2: Yeah, we saw it where he had one of the greatest years, if not the greatest years ever as a closer for the Oakland Athletics. And what he did that year with all the saves and the 11 wins and just coming in and Bob Melvin would be like, hey, get me out of the eighth, take me into the ninth, and he did it. You know, one thing I, I wanted to ask you, because I got tired of talking about it, You know, one thing that bugs me is hitters. Hitters can have pine tar. They got spray. They now can put tape on their bats. They got stuff on their elbows. They got stuff on their their ankles. They got all this. And they stand up right on the plate. I mean, they've got every advantage. But you're telling me I, I can't use... Copper tone and resin, and all of a sudden, I'm the devil out on the mound. I'm like, come on, man.
4: I t- like that did get a little bit overblown during the season. And unfortunately, like, I think the fan narrative had been, oh, these pitchers are just nasty because they're using all this ridiculous stuff. I'm like, there's a point where something is so sticky, the ball doesn't come off your hand. So it's not like this amazing sticky stuff that's never been seen before, like some. Weird super glue. It's just the optim optimization of it. Um, they're gonna have to solve that problem somehow. I mean, attack your ball, better, better rods. And I don't know, but but yeah, I'm with you. Like, I, I think pitchers should be able to have a grip. Obviously, the original rules were more aimed at spitballs and stuff. Like, I don't know if you know the original rule actually came about. I, I talked to a baseball historian John Thorne during the pandemic because they didn't want people to spit on the baseballs because it was unsanitary. And they were worried about spreading like the Spanish flu back in the day. So yeah, so like it's all come full circle.
2: Oh yeah, and then by the way, a guy that uh, got into the hall of fame because of stuff and it wasn't sticky was uh, our old friend gaylord perry who was not trying to make it stickier it was trying to be a little vaseline and that whole spitball thing and uh you know the late great ray Fosse, who passed away recently would talk to us about catching him in cleveland and he would always say if i'm ever trying to throw the runner out i got to make sure i find the dry side of the ball
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome i mean it you know part of that is it's the lore and the character of baseball but, yeah, I mean, that was originally what that rule was aimed at, was, was the unpredictability of the ball because of the, the spit on it or Vaseline on it or whatever you put on it. Um, not the real – nobody was aiming at at putting a little bit of pine tar to help your grip or something like that. That wasn't the original intent of the rule.
2: So there's certain guys, obviously more around our circle, where there's rumors, right? And, you know, you look year to year. So I'm gonna stay away from our guys, but how many pitchers did you see once the rule went into effect? The guy just was not the same, the numbers weren't the same. And what you're doing with your video and showing all the spin and everything, how many guys you just went? Obviously, he was a spider attack guy.
4: Yeah, there were there were several. They ended up adjusting later on. I think um, you know, it was I'm guessing somewhere around 60 to 70 percent of pitchers were probably using something, be it you know, the, the sunscreen and rosin or spider tack or some degree of some special concoction. Um, some were able to make the adjustment really quickly. Some got accused of it and they weren't doing anything. Blake Trinan was one of them. He didn't have like a ridiculous spin rate. It's just he his pitches just move insane. So the bad thing about it is pitches were getting accused of doing stuff that they weren't doing. But yeah, there were some that just couldn't adjust right away. And then later on, they realized. Like, if you mix sweat and rosin, you're getting some degree of tack that will help you. So people, they made adjustments, but it was tough at first. There are definitely some that that took a nose dive.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you've been doing, now you can't do. And it's not like this, th- this ball that we have. I got a million of them in my studio. I mean, these things are like hard as rocks they're like throwing a cue ball. And if you take a ball from like this year, from like five years ago, the seams are completely different.
4: Absolutely. And, and, and don't forget, like we throw the ball out of play almost like every pitch. Now it used to be the ball would stay in play for a while. So it'd get a little rough. You'd get at least some degree of ability to grab it, to, to hold it. And you want someone to have command of a pitch when they're throwing it as hard as they are. I mean, people are throwing hundred miles an hour and they can't grip it real well. That's going to be a problem. So giving them something, I mean, it's gotta, it's gotta be fixed. I mean, obviously, you can't, you can't make it so the ball's never put in play. I mean, the ball has to be put in play by good hitters, but the pitching right now is insane. Like it is really, really good.
2: How do the hitter then catch up to the pitchers? If the pitchers are so far ahead of the hitters.
4: Yeah, that's, that's the next thing. Like, I think it's a bunch of different things. Um, some visualization. So the ability to either reconstruct what a pitcher is doing through pit elaborate pitching machines and, and, uh, and things like that to help you visualize how the pitch is coming out of a pitcher's hand. Then just being able to pick up on what the pitcher is doing. So advanced scouting and looking at how the pitcher's tipping the ball. Everybody tips something. Like it's very hard to not adjust your hand in some way or look for a window. And it's just, you, you've you got to know, you've got to have a better idea of what's coming in order to to hit these guys. Because it's it's brutal if you're a hitter.
2: Yeah, they're talking about neuroscience and looking at guys' brains and how they test out and reaction time and everything. And can you, can you put the goggles on the guy so he can visualize the picture and see the picture and 3D and all that kind of stuff? I mean, that's kind of where the game's going. If you're going to, because if you're going to catch up to 100 miles an hour, and then not flail away at a slider. I mean, it, your reaction time is just it, – it's incredible. And Because people think, oh, 50 – you know, you, you think about where the mound is. You're like, no, by the time this 6'4 guy comes down the hill and releases it, you've got, like, no time. you got to think now and swing.
4: Oh, absolutely. And with not knowing if the pitch is going to move 20 inches one way or another um, or a difference of 10 miles an hour due to a changeup, like, it's brutal. And, yeah, they're going to have to – I mean – It's gonna be a bunch of different things. I think there the next wave is something like that, as well as understanding how to scout deception as a pitcher, because you'll see a hundred miles an hour out of, you know, one pitcher isn't the same as a hundred miles an hour out of another guy. And it's exactly what you're saying. Like some are closer to the plate, some hide the ball longer, some just have a quirky mechanic that you just can't pick it up. And and I think there there needs to be. You can study extension, you can know where a pitcher's releasing it, but knowing what makes them deceptive, other than that, I think that that's going to be probably the next frontier, along with visualization from the hitter.
2: 60 feet, six inches. Do they need to move it back?
4: I mean, like if I wasn't a pitching guy, I'd say yeah, <laughs> but I, but being one, <laughs> I'd say no. Um, like hitters have to deal with it and learn to figure it out, is my you know, that that's what I'm going to go with, but. You can make the argument. I mean, sure. I, some of the pitches may be nastier, though. Like if you give a pitch a little bit longer to break, maybe it's harder to hit in some ways. Fastballs, no, but but other pitches, maybe. So, I think there may be just disp- like disproportional effects of doing that. And maybe Maybe the game gets more boring because there's more walks. I don't know.
2: Well, it'd be weird too to say and be in that conversation. I mean, you you literally as, as baseball you need to, whatever diamond you're going to do this at, you would actually need, and you probably wouldn't do it at a diamond. You'd need to have this open field with a fence around you, but you'd have to like, okay, 60 feet, six inches. All right, let's go to 61 feet, 61. You'd have to have all these mounds next to each other and kind of see like what really works and what doesn't like, what's too far back? What, what, it, what isn't enough? Like, and you have these pitchers thrown, you're right. I mean, you could be flipping up some crazy breaking balls from maybe <laughs> 62 feet.
4: Absolutely. I think, you know, who knows? What do you think about things like, uh, obviously the umpiring is something that have people complain about all the time. I was wondering uh, what you don't think. Don't even get me started. Yeah, yeah, I know, like, that's probably the other next frontier. I was talking to uh, Alec Manoa about at least giving the umpires some way of visualizing the strike zone better than they do, like some kind of, VR glasses where they can at least see an outline of the strike zone and see if the ball in their opinion is passed through. It's still their judgment at the end of the day, but they can at least know what, you know, a 3d image of the strike zone. I don't know what the answer is, but I know it's been frustrating for fans, either check swings or just balls and strikes.
2: Well, I can tell you this. I'm 49 years old. I turned 50 in March. And for the first time in my life, I'm starting to look at my phone a little bit. I'm starting like when I read, I'm like, I'm starting to I'm starting to notice it like a little bit. I can't imagine a guy who's 62 years old or 65 or whatever behind home plate and he's got to decide with these balls coming in hundred miles an hour, striker ball. I mean, it's gotta be really, really tough. And we see on a nightly basis, and, and they're grading them out on Twitter now, and you're seeing it, some guys are just not good.
4: It, that's Totally right. I mean, I think some guys just aren't very good, and it's very frustrating to see the inconsistencies. And uh, you know, when you have every every bit of the game now, there's analytics behind it. There's a whole bunch of you know next level stats. The one thing that's a wild card, it's the umpire. Then right, like you can have the greatest plan to go at a hitter, and if the umpire isn't giving you these pitches that should be strikes, it's frustrating. If you have a game end on a on a check swing that maybe wasn't a swing. It's frustrating, and everybody keeps talking about all that instead of talking about the game itself, which, I mean, if you looked at the Dodgers-Giants game, that was a fantastic game. That was a like a showcase of baseball, and then you have the only takeaway, oh, well, he didn't swing. Like, everybody should be talking about the incredible pitching and the just the quality of play instead of that. So it does need to be fixed somehow. I don't have any of the magic answers, but it's frustrating. You're right. You have guys that are calling games that maybe were good back in the day, and then again, when we started doing human umpires, pitches weren't moving as fast or as much. So maybe it's kind of maybe it's outlived its welcome. I don't know.
2: Well, you know, you know, for years when you're watching a telecast, well, this guy's a low ball umpire. This guy's a hot. Wait a minute. A strike is a strike, a ball is a ball. What are we talking about here? What do you mean he only calls low ones versus high ones? I mean, you need to utilize the entire strike zone, and I think that would also help hitters, right? Because if you have the electric strike zone, you're going to know every night what your strike zone is. Absolutely. An electric, like, look at what tennis does with Hawkeye. Like, you know, is the ball in or is the ball out? You know. Every guy would have his strike zone, and every night, that would be your strike zone. It's not going to switch. I think that would definitely help hitters because they would know which is going to be called a strike, which is not. Because as you mentioned now, it's a floating strike zone. It can be a, a strike in the first inning, might be a ball in the eighth inning.
4: You make a really good point. And the other thing you'll hear from fans is, well, the hitters just got to adjust. if they, Like the hitter, if you're adjusting to some of these pitches and you're swinging at something that's three inches off the plate because you're adjusting to the fact the umpire may call it, Yum! You're dead meat. Like I saw, I go went back to the Eric Gregg game. You remember that? Oh my god! Yeah. So I was looking at
2: Hernandez. It, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> it was incredible. But then I saw the hitters try to adjust, and they're swinging the pitches a foot out of the zone because they didn't know it was going to be called a strike. You can't adjust to to that type of zone because then it's totally in favor of the pitcher at that point because the hitter swinging they don't know what a strike is. So it might help hitters if they knew consistently. That this was a strike or ball, and you see guys, I think Brantley uh, and J.D. Martinez, both of them, great, great knowledge of the strike zone. They know when they're when a pitch is a few inches off, and you'll see them just turn back to the umpire that that one game and go like, "Dude, that's it's not a strike. That was a little off, right?"
2: And probably the worst thing for these umpires now. And it started with just a few, you know, certain cable networks had it. Not all the local teams have it. Now everybody's got it. After every single pitch, we're showing you the box. What is a strike? And I know in our games, you'll see the ball's a little high or a little low, and our hitters are going And you're going, it's not a strike. We're able to evaluate it every single pitch now. And the thing that I laugh about is MLB.com, which is owned by Major League Baseball, and you can follow the game, and you can follow their – it's their pitch tracker. <laughs> and you can see, hey, this call affected the game. This ball strike call affected the game. And I'm seeing on your technology, it was a bad call, and it's your technology. Absolutely.
4: And is it fair even to the umpires to have – like, we've gotten to a point now where we can judge them, and that's awesome. Like, we, we have video review of plays because the fans at home are seeing now the same thing the umpires are seeing, and they can fix their calls. Why are we why are fans now able to second guess the umpire? At least give them that view. At least give the umpire an idea that same that we have. Like it's accurate, you know about where the at least the edges give me the corners of the plate, right? Like that doesn't move. I understand up and down maybe there's some subjectivity even though there's not in the rule book. Certainly the corners of the plate there aren't. And you should be able to 100% nail that every time. We can send you know, you have self driving cars. You can't figure out where the strike zone is. Like, come on.
2: Elon Musk is taking people, he's taking William Shatner into space, and you can't figure out the strike yeah, zone. Right. Like,
4: come on. Like, we can do this. This, this, that part doesn't move. Home plate does not move. We can figure this out. And make it fair. Like when we were kids, what did you use? As a, you use the strike zone, you use the garbage can or something like that.
2: You paint it on the garage. Absolutely. You, know, you, 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 you had the box in the garage, and if you stood up and I hit it in the box, it's a strike. No one could debate it.
4: Exactly. And 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 that's the thing. So now, all we're asking is some, some way. We have the technology. Fans shouldn't be able to say this umpire stinks because we can see it. Give the umpire this. If the umpire wants to screw somebody, I guess they still can. Um, you know, unless you make it officially that, that it has to be the automated, whatever the automated zone calls, it's it's a rule. Maybe you give the umpires some degree of discretion, but at least give them the ability to see what we see.
2: No, oh, that's always my favorite when the strike zone gets a lot bigger on getaway day, right? All of a sudden the strike zone is bigger. And you know, the thing that gets me, you know, growing up pitching and all the way through college, all we were taught is, throw the ball down in the zone, build a house down below. You build your house down below because with metal bats, you pitch up, you're, you're dead. So nowadays, because everybody wants launch angle, it's better to pitch up. But these umpires for so many years had lower strike zone. They miss these calls up. The pitchers need to get these fastballs up because you know, everybody's trying to get under it and launch it and hit it out of the ballpark. That's the one defense I have against that.
4: Totally agree. I think that that's that's the disconnect and why there probably needs a new wave of umpires that have to come in. The other thing is you're going to find that more pitchers like I mean, uh, Lucas Giolito's one, for example, but being able to to pitch up in the zone with change ups, curveballs, like they're they miss curveballs. All the time up in the zone because it's not where they're looking for it. But if you can throw curveballs, sliders, everything else up in the zone now, they're going to be effective because hitters give up on it. And there's a new wave of pitchers that are trying to do that where you're going to throw a high curveball, the hitter's like, oh, that's not a strike and takes it. But you need an automated zone or some degree of judgment on the upper part of the zone because that's a tough call for an umpire.
2: How much have you seen? I I don't know if you've seen it at all. I don't know. Went to a couple minor league games this year, but just how the pitch clock has changed pitching in the minor leagues.
4: You know, I've seen it a little bit. I think that they've become used to it. I mean, it's one of those things that after a while you get used to it. Um, I don't. The part is, I think a lot of times it's on the hitter too. So you, there are a few pitchers that obviously work slow, but a lot of times you'll see hitters really taking their time and, you know, going, stepping out of the, out of the box, taking a breath, all that. Um, You know, in high school, you have to keep one foot in the, in the box. Thank do Yeah. Right. I mean, cause God, if that, those games would be brutal. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like, I think, I think it's just got to be overall a theme that, Hey, let's, let's, let's get this thing moving. Come on. Like, I don't, I don't know how much that speeds up the game or not. Having a pitch clock, actually, I think it's a lot of the other stuff involved in the game um, that that, like, even the commercials between innings, having like endless, endless commercials between innings, and uh, and pitch change, pitching, pitcher changes. I mean, you're changing pitchers. That game lasts forever, and that's what you're seeing right now. Is is everybody's using everybody? They're going deep into the bullpen, and it's just takes a lot of time.
2: Do you think we'll ever get to a point, and we don't know roster size with the new CBA? Do you think we'll get to a point to where it's a positionless staff? No one's calling themselves a starter. No one's a no one's a closer. No one's a setup guy. It's just these are the thirteen to fifteen guys we got. I'll just you know I'll add a couple guys. Thirteen to fifteen guys we got, and day to day we're gonna piece it together. And when we tell you it's it's go time, you be ready to go
4: you know I think some teams will do that obviously um, and I think there's a, a cost effectiveness of doing it a money ball type thing that you may run your team that way and then others if you're piecing a game together you're also increasing your chance that you may have a dud and uh you know you're not riding the hot arm for multiple innings and you have that stud starter that's going to carry you deep in the game and you're taxing your bullpen over and over between warm-up pitches pitches in the game and you know all that like, it, it, I I know it works in a postseason. You can definitely do that there. Doing that for for a full season may be tougher. But yeah, I think some like some teams will do that, um, and then some you you know the Max Scherzer of the world, the workhorses of the world, still you're probably going to have them. Um, but maybe like I think you know, the Rays kind of are the closest to that, I guess.
2: I think I'll cry the first time we don't have a guy that goes 200 innings.
4: Yeah, I know. It's it is one of those things. Like, it's the romantic part of baseball, right? You got that starter who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and and you can you know go to a game and you're rooting for the starting pitcher instead of rooting for a uh, a whole bullpen. Like, that's tough. It's tough. It's a tougher sell sell to fans.
2: If you could tell kids, I mean, obviously, fastball strike one will always be the best pitch in the history of baseball, right? Getting ahead, right, the percentages right off the bat go 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 right to you. But obviously, other than a fastball, if you could tell a young pitcher what to develop, what would be the one pitch you'd tell them to develop?
4: So I'd lo- give me a filthy changeup, and uh, and and it just makes me happy. Like if you if you have a ridiculous changeup. I think that that plays it at any level. Um so that's the first thing that I'd love to see kids work on in addition to throwing hard. Like you're going to open eyes by throwing hard always that's going to be a thing. And it's been a thing since the beginning of of time, but a change up um you know like a Devin Williams change up
2: that would be pretty sweet
4: like the airbender. Yeah, give me one of those.
2: A Trevor Hoffman type. Yeah,
4: exactly. Like, we're
2: truly a strikeout pitch.
4: Yeah, like I love so that's the part exactly what you said. Like to me, if you can make your changeup a strikeout pitch and dominate hitters with a changeup, like Pedro used to do, or Trevor Hoffman, um, or or Devin Williams today with throwing like sixty percent changeups, that's fun. And I think that's a mentality you have to have, and that's a hard thing for kids to understand. Is they they think of changeup as Wait, I'm trying to trick somebody by throwing it slow. But if you take it and you say, look, this is my pitch, I'm all in and I'm going to dominate you with this changeup. I think that's how you get kids doing that. And I think that that's probably the best pitch.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, our pitching coach, Scott Emerson, says all the time hitting's timing, pitching is disrupting timing. And, you know, to tell young pitchers there's a chance you'll probably stay healthier, can't guarantee it. But sliders and curveballs and splits and you know they can mess with the elbow. Fastball changeup is probably your best bet to not get hurt. And you need to tell young pitchers when you got that good changeup, it makes your fastball look that much faster.
4: It it does, and I I, I think that this is great because the some kids going to be listening right now and they're going to say, hey, I want to develop a changeup, and and please do it. Like I think that that's. That's the most fun thing for me to watch too like you not only are getting if you spe- especially if you can get that movement um, but you know again you can throw changeups up in the zone if you have that speed differential like you have a lot of room for error if you're talking about a 10 to 15 mile an hour difference in velocity you think of a hitter's timing um, they're gonna be swinging you know five feet before the ball gets there and that's fun like make them screw them into the ground. that's great stuff.
2: The best thing ever is when a guy loses his back because he's so out. That's my favorite. Exactly. (laughs) I totally agree with you. That's fantastic. How proud are you that, you know, you look around Major League Baseball during BP and you got professional pitchers in Major League Baseball all over the place wearing your shirt?
4: Dude, I cannot tell you how happy that makes me. Like, I still think of myself as a dude with a computer who watches baseball games. So to have somebody actually go out there and wear a Pitching Ninja shirt and be proud of it, or like I'll be talking to a pitcher. Number one, like I was at the All-Star game and Max Scherzer was like, oh yeah, I want to talk to Pitching Ninja. I'm like, wait, you're Max Scherzer and I'm just Rob. So I thought that was crazy, but to see guys like wearing stuff and being like wanting to even talk to me. It's like, I think it's, I still have to like, I'm like, really? Um, so it's all taken off way more than I ever thought it was. And it, it is absolutely awesome when I see that.
2: Well, we go into off season mode. That's where we are now. What is off season mode for the pitching ninja?
4: Um, you know what? There's really, so it, it slows down a little bit, but I still do content and I mostly do like classic games. Cause you know, like I'll take a part of Pedro game. Or something like that, and 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 let fans now know that there were great pitchers back then, and show them what they did and how filthy they were, um, and then a lot of interviews. So I'll catch up with players because now they have time to talk. So I'll do a lot of uh, a lot of stuff like that too. So I don't take as much time off as I probably should. I'd love to. Like that would be fun. Um, like, just give me some time. Uh, But yeah, it's a lot of a lot of that because I get asked all the time during the season. Hey, can you break down these pitchers? I'm like in the off season. Then I give I give awards for the season, like the first month after the season. Just some of them traditional, some of them made up. Like I'll just make up something like, uh, you know, the 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 best f bomb or something like that. It doesn't matter. I'll do something.
2: Well, I I think it's really cool how you you've got the. As you mentioned, Max Scherzer wants to talk to you. You got pitchers all over, some of our pitchers with the A's, they reach out to you for help. I mean, I think that that tells you a lot about the quality of your content and what you're doing because we're in a business, it's a business of failure, and all anybody wants to do is get better because when you get better, that means there's more dollars in your contract.
4: A really, really good point, and that's something that I didn't necessarily realize when I started doing this is – It's so much of a community and there's so many eyes on a pitcher and so much stress that it's kind of created this identity, which is why pitchers want to wear the stuff and why they reach out to me and why they want to talk and why they want to share stuff because it's hard being a pitcher. Like it, it is hard. It's a game of failure on a mound too. And when you fail on the mound, everyone's looking at you. Like you have the ball and if you can't throw strikes or you're getting shelled, everybody's looking at you and blaming you. So it's like we're, we're one big support group.
2: Oh yeah. When you're on that mound and you can't get anybody out, it is it's a terrible. lonely because the game doesn't start until you throw it. The action doesn't start till you throw it. And everybody, everybody, their dugout, your dugout, the position players, everybody in the stands, they're watching you.
4: Yeah. It's the worst feeling in the world. I mean, I've been there. I think everybody's been there where you just can't throw a strike and everyone's yelling, you just throw strikes, which yeah, helps nothing. Throw
2: <laughs> no, I don't want, I, I'd rather just sit here and throw balls.
4: Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, throw <laughs> strikes. Thank you. I didn't think
2: of that. <laughs> hey, well, it's always great to have you on the program. If, if there's anything you got going on that you need to promote, uh, let us know, and we'll take care of you.
4: Awesome, man. It's great talking to you, too. All
2: right, buddy, take care. Take
4: care, dude.
2: The Pitching Ninja. Jay, how you doing? It's Chris Towns with the Oakland Athletics. Hey, I'm good. How are you? Uh, Doing well. Just watching a, you know, I love playoff day baseball. I mean, Fenway Park, Astros, Red Sox uh, during the day. It's just the best. How about you?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot to navigate when you're charged with keeping track of it all. Uh, But uh, this is, you know, we only get this for a few weeks a year and it's pretty cool.
2: You know your article uh, talk about hitting the nail on the head, and I don't know where the sport goes, but when you were researching this article, starting pitching less innings more than ever. Was there anything that shocked you when doing the article and researching?
0: I was I was really surprised that it was that it that we're closer to four innings. In fact, um, I just updated the numbers on my spreadsheet here. We're at four point oh three innings per start. I knew it was below five. But man, that's uh, that's a whole different ballgame right there. When you when you, when you're at four, um, you know the the trends we're seeing. Uh, there, I, I think some of it still owes to the you know to the reaction uh, to the pandemic and the pitcher injuries and things like that. Um, you know, ramping it back up from uh, 60 games to 162, but I'm still surprised that it's that low and that we've seen these, these rotations, uh, so many of them, even, you know, among the final four teams here, uh, look like they're on
2: fumes. Do you think like, let's say in 2022, that these numbers maybe even out, maybe go a little bit higher or is this just a trend we're going to keep going down to at some point it's like, oh, my God, I don't even know who really has starting pitching anymore?
0: Yeah, I think we'll see a rebound, honestly. Um, at least, you know, in the regular season, I think there are so many teams that were trying to protect their pitchers um, this year, and it's still, you got 44, you know, I think those injuries were up 44% relative to 2019, um, uh, if I'm remembering the data that I saw. Uh, and I think just nobody knew, you know, there were a variety of strategies. Nobody really knew how to handle it. We saw six-man rotations. Uh, we saw guys getting a breather in the middle of the season. Um, you know, we saw a lot of guys with, with um, minor league options get set down for a couple weeks uh, or get sent to the bullpen, things like that. Um, I think next year it will be less of an issue because you'll have a, a lot of guys with a good base of innings under their belts. Uh, and it, you won't see guys making 100 inning year over year increases the way you did. So um, I'm optimistic about that, but at the same time, um, you know, the numbers certainly favor relievers right now. Um, you know, in, in in getting you know having the better chance at getting most hitters out, and uh, you, you, it's tough to put the genie back in the bottle without coming uh, coming with a way that, that that's going to correct that. Um, because, you know, teams are doing what's in their best interest, and that may not necessarily be in the uh, best aesthetic interest of the game.
2: You know, we had no idea how this season was going to play, and, you know, you know, some people thought, uh-oh, it's going to be rough because they only played 60, and then other people said, well, maybe the rest might be good for some of these guys. I mean, I'm not an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not a trainer. But I I was optimistic that, listen, a lot of these guys, especially the younger pitchers, you know, from their days back in travel ball, been throwing year round for many, many years. Right, And maybe the fact that you just played 60 games and you had more time off and then the off season heading into this season. But I guess that's not the case. I guess we're going to look at it that getting these guys out of their routine and only having 60 games was not healthy for them.
0: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, it's so tough. There's so many variables that that, – That um, we can't account for, especially you know, if we're you know in a position where we're outsiders here, you know, rather than having uh, um, you know the inside information about injuries and things like that. But you just don't know how much wear and tear and and, and how many things went into do. it. We don't know what every you know whether there were pitchers who you know had more success or you know, staying injury free in 2021 because they they shut down uh, to a greater extent last year uh between march and 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 july or whether the ones who stayed strong and kept throwing were fared better we don't have that information at our disposal here so it's very tough to, to get those answers to, you know to say nothing of you know all the the, the variations in in between start routines bullpens and things like that it, it it this is this is uh uh much there's much more to it than than we can than we can guess
2: I can tell you what scares me, and I don't know how much you track the minor leagues. I can just tell you uh, our Stockton Ports, our low-A team, was in town taking on the San Jose Giants, and we went out to the game, and I don't know who this kid is for the San Jose Giants, but he was this left-hander who was absolutely cruising, basically had nobody on base. He's cruising, and all of a sudden, the manager for the San Jose Giants comes out and takes him out in the fourth inning and we're all looking around, going, "What are you doing?" But then you realize this is what minor league baseball is. They've got a pitch count. No matter how the guy's throwing, he's coming out at that point. And I couldn't believe that a guy was just cruising in the fourth inning. They take him out. I mean, how we're training these guys? Don't you think in the minor leagues is also a problem leading to the major leagues?
0: Yeah, there's you know there's a tension in the minors between you know development and winning and but I think part, you know, part of the, part of it is also, you know, kind of the, 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 Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. And I think, you know, the potential this year for, you know, I think there was a lot of concerns about injuries, a lot of concerns about protecting these arms. And it's tough because, you know, as, as a team, you want to win at the same time, you need to protect uh, these players from their own competitive impulses and desires, you know, and the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the desire to be macho, to be tough, um, you know, and to, to, to put it, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to put your best effort out there every day, uh, you know, without regard to the consequences. And unfortunately that for pitchers, that's just not always, uh, the best path. Um, this sport has, you know, I've been writing about baseball now for 20 years and this sport feels like we were having some of these conversations in 2003, you know, how do we keep pitchers healthy? Um, we I don't know that we've really made as much progress there as we have in so many other areas of the game, and it's kind of frustrating.
2: You know, we grew up with people saying momentum was next day's starting pitcher. Should we change that to momentum is actually tomorrow's bullpen? Who's healthy? Who can go?
0: That's a really good question. It's funny you mentioned that. I've I've got four radio spots stacked up this afternoon and on one of them just before I cited that Earl Weaver uh, quotation uh, about momentum being the next day's starting pitcher. Then, you know, wondering like, well, who is the next day's starting pitcher? Is it the guy who's throwing an inning before the other guy or is it the guy who worked, you know, an inning out of the bullpen with disastrous consequences two days ago? I mean, it's, it's tough because, um, you know, we're seeing, and especially this postseason, we're seeing so many usage patterns that we're just not used to. Uh, maybe an over an, an over reliance on trying to get starting pitchers into into the game uh, as relievers when you know they're barely getting through four or five innings. Uh, um, you know, in the, in their day job, so to speak.
2: You know, something you can't teach. You either do it or you don't. Is when you hit with two outs. Isn't it truly amazing the numbers of the Houston Astros, what they do at the plate when there's two outs and how many runs they score?
0: Yeah, it's uncanny. And, and, you know, the Astros have have figured out that, you know, just how important contact is at this, at this, uh, uh, at this time of the season, um, Unfortunately, I think people are always going to be suspicious of this particular core uh, based on what's happened with the illegal sign stealing. So it's 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 tough to give them full credit, but um, they have strung together some remarkable rallies, and last night's was was certainly one of them. And situational hitting in general—I mean, you know—it's determining winners and losers as much as anything else. the Dodgers were two for 20 with runners in scoring position uh, before that eighth inning rally yesterday uh, in terms of just the NLCS. They got three hits with, with runners in scoring position there. Some they are good situational hitters where they weren't before. I mean, you know, this stuff, maybe there's a rhyme or reason to it. Maybe it's just randomness and, and, and getting the right matchups in the, at the right time. But uh, uh, it certainly does make a difference when, when, when you can string, a, string together those rallies, and the Astros have done it, and that's why they've overcome uh, the starting fishing problems they've had.
2: Well, there is something about the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. They've won 18 of their last 19 at Dodger Stadium. They've hit 42 home runs in their last 19 home games. How, I mean, if you had to look into a crystal ball, how do you see the NLCS going?
0: Well, you know, today the the Braves are, are the one that are that have the bullpen game, and the Dodgers have have the uh, the name brand starter and Julio Urias. Um, if the Dodgers don't win this one, they are real, real big trouble because they've got a bullpen game tomorrow, uh, probably coming back with some combination of Corey Knabel and, and Tony Gonsolin. Um, there, I think, you know, for them, the the cost of using Max Scherzer in Game Five uh, continues to resonate because he wasn't fully rested uh, and and wasn't really himself and uh, is, is kind of fighting his mechanics and, and dealing with arm fatigue and. You know, I don't think anybody could have foreseen that, uh, uh, although we knew that the Dodgers were a bit shorthanded coming in just because of the loss of Clayton Kershaw.
2: You know, when you look at these lineups and you look at consistency, and I I don't necessarily – ever really agree with Alex Rodriguez. But last night on the post-game show, he talked about how with analytics and with everything they're trying to do, there's not a whole lot of routine going on with a lot of these teams. And then you see inconsistency with these teams. Like the Dodger team, you don't know which team is going to show up. How much do you think lack of routine could affect these teams in the postseason?
0: I mean, maybe there's something to that. I know, you know, players are creatures of habit. They like routines. Um, at the same time, the postseason is, is structured very differently from the regular season. Uh, you've got so many off days because of the travel days. And so uh, that gets players out of their routines as well. You know, you're used to uh, three and three and four game stands in a city and then you move on. And here, sometimes you've just got two days and then you move on. And so it's uh, uh, already at the disruption of the routine. And, and, you know, players have been dealing with with, with these ty- types of disruptions. I think if you ask any of them, they would tell you that, yes, they'd rather be in the postseason where they have to figure out slightly different routine, uh than going home for the, uh, you know, going home on October 1st or whatever uh, without going to the playoffs.
2: Well, let's end on this. Cause I know you got other, other interviews to do. We love talking hall of fame with you and you got your own formula who coming up here are our next baseball hall of famers.
0: Well, you know, I, I am not particularly strong on his candidacy based on the advanced statistics, especially wins above replacement. Uh, but I do think that David Ortiz, uh, who's heading the ballot here, is likely to get in. Maybe not initially in the, this year, but sometime uh, uh, in the near future. I think um, the PED allegations are probably going to make it much harder for Alex Rodriguez to get in, although obviously the numbers are, are massive. Um, you know, Those are the two newcomers that stand out on this ballot. Um, I don't think any of the holdovers is as close to uh, reaching 75% this year uh, uh, yet. I think we're probably looking at at least a couple of years away for guys like Scott Rowland and and, uh, um, and maybe Billy Wagner. Uh, but I think they're tr- they're trending in the right direction. Uh, I think this is going to be a particularly noxious cycle with so much talk about Bonds and Clemens and. Schilling and sosa who are all in their final year are on the ballot and people have made up their minds about them and you know they all have their various sins that uh, they've they've got to answer for so it's gonna be a tough cycle but I'm, I'm looking a little bit more interested in the um uh in the era committee ballots I really hope dick Allen gets in I really hope Minnie Minoso gets in um we'll see
2: though uh let's end on this obviously steroids has made things uh, ugly but have you ever seen something as ugly than what's going on with kurt Schilling and the hall of fame and the vote no
0: it's uh, he's just uncharted territory uh it's just uncharted territory i've never seen a never seen a player sabotage uh his own candidacy in the way in the in the way that Schilling has and uh um i think that the things he's done are you know more serious than 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 uh uh trying to get that extra edge on the field
2: Jay, always appreciate it. Love reading you. Keep up the great work and enjoy the rest of the postseason.
0: All right. Thanks so much for the kind words. Great to talk to you. Take care.
2: Jay Jaffe from Fangraphs. Dallas, what's up? It's Townsend. How we doing, buddy? Hey, we actually had starters uh, getting through the third inning today.
0: Imagine that. Not bad. Not bad.
2: I was actually thinking before this show, saying, Dallas, you could make a comeback. We only need you to go two innings.
0: Tony, even that would be tough, but I tell you, it, it brings it brings the field a heck of a lot closer to you when you start thinking, is that all that I would have to do is a few outs? Now, look, we understand these outs far more important than any other outs the starting pitcher is responsible for getting, especially right now. So the idea that you're getting any sort of length out of either one of your starters, especially if you're Houston or Boston, you're a big fan of that right now.
2: Do you think it will revert back next year now that we'll have a full season, full off season that because of what happened with COVID last year, kind of threw everybody off that next year we'll revert back and start trending up more with innings and starting pitchers.
0: I think the game as a whole is uh, as cyclical as anything in our world is. And that means that eventually there will be a moment where we circle back to realizing, Oh, that's right. Why are we entertaining the idea of the bullpen usage the way we are? It's because we do realize how valuable it is having guys that can give you that kind of link in a ball game. And so why don't we start trying to identify and build and cultivate those guys? And it's going to be like an aha moment. And the people who start to do it and think of putting emphasis on it are going to feel like they've reinvented the wheel. Like i surprised nobody thought of this. Well, there's just been a cycle that has taken course here. And I don't want to say run its course because there's still ways to deploy your bullpen successfully and look for those matchups. But, There's no mistaking and there's no arguing that if you have five gentlemen that you can run out there and get six plus innings out of every five days, you would really love to have that as opposed to having to figure out a way to cover 27 outs with 12 guys.
2: Yeah, if you have that scenario, you're going to be winning your division and you're going to be in the postseason, no question. You know, if someone asked you, they said, you know, we track everything in baseball. Obviously, velocity is something we're constantly looking at. Let's say you're a pitcher that at one point was throwing 95, and now you're throwing 93. And someone might say, well, you know, I mean, still 93. You're just two miles off your, your normal 95. But how big of a difference is just a little bit of a downtick and your velocity when you're trying to get the best hitters in the world out?
0: you are talking about margin for error, Tony, is what you're talking about. And the ability to miss fat, as we say, meaning the, the ability to throw the 95-mile-an-hour fastball, basically middle of the strike zone, middle height, just right there on a tee. That guy who throws, and we'll just say 95, He's got a little better chance of survival than a guy throwing 92, 93, throwing that same pitch in that same location with just two clicks less velocity on it. And something to think about, especially during the postseason, these these at bats have a heightened sense of awareness surrounding them. And the, the idea that you're okay with punching out today, that's not the same as it is in, in May. There's a day where you're okay with punching out a couple times, as long as you get that A plus swing off and run into one, and you go one for four with three punch outs and a homer, and you're okay with that. Well, you might be okay with that too in the postseason if that homer gives your team the lead or wins the ball game. But if those three punch outs in that one for four come in huge spots, well, that's going to leave a terrible taste in your mouth. You didn't create a productive out. You didn't. What I'm getting at here is there's a battle that is much more intense, and if you have a greater margin for error to miss then you probably stand a better chance of survival if you're not emphasizing location
2: well you know what that's exactly steve sparks right you know the last time houston came to town steve sparks was on the program and he said the reason why he likes postseason baseball so much is he says now guys are actually playing to win he goes, during uh-huh. the regular season, guys are playing for stats. Guys are playing for contracts. But once you get into the postseason, your numbers don't matter. And now guys do the little things, like hit behind the runners. You do the little things to win baseball games because it's not about the numbers anymore. I went, huh. And that's what you're talking about. It's it's like oh, this is, tr- it's, it's a different – playoff baseball is different because now it's all about winning and sacrificing for your team to get that win.
0: You know why baseball gets – such a wave of support in October is because of everything that you mentioned and everything that apparently myself and Steve Sparks have told you is there's a team element to the most individualized team sport going. And April through September, you don't get that brand of baseball. You don't get that type of game. You get the type of game where players, for better or worse, are looking to supplement the back of their baseball card so that they can supplement their income. Everybody understands that. But when we get into October, the collective thought is you're getting a paycheck, I'm getting a paycheck. We all know we're getting a good paycheck here. We all know we drive nice cars. What we now need to do is win a ring, right? The money doesn't matter, the commas in the paycheck doesn't matter, accolades don't matter. I need a ring. What gets me that? Uh, well, it's not the one for four approach in May that's okay with three punches. It is absolutely a one for two with maybe a couple walks and a sacrifice thrown in there. If that's what I mean, whatever you've got to do by any means necessary. And those are two very different games, those are two very different sports. Because in a lineup full of nine guys today, you probably have three or four that are not concerned with hitting behind a runner, who are not concerned with just putting the ball in play and making something happen. They're looking to do damage with each and every swing. That could shift in the postseason.
2: Now, if you were preparing for a lineup like the Astros and you were told that they're hitting well over 300 and well over 1,000 OPS with runners on and two outs. There's something about this team. Two outs, they score a boatload of runs. How do you prepare for that as a pitcher?
0: It's just making sure that you have an understanding of tendencies in those spots. And you can't control necessarily defensive positioning, so you you eliminate that. Like, uh, am I going to be able to get them to hit it to these guys? That's all about you focusing on your game plan. And part of your game plan, part of developing that game plan should be understanding which guys are aggressive when in those specific situations, game scenario, men on two outs. What are X, Y, and Z doing in the first two pitches? Are they aggressive? Are they not breaking balls? Are they aggressive on breaking balls? Are they not early in the count? What are they getting put away with late in the count? with runners in scoring position. Are they getting locked up with fastballs in because they're hunting the soft stuff up and out over the plate. And if you're doing your homework, you might be able to find those answers, or you at least might be able to find some numbers that allow you to formulate a confident and convicted approach. That's what you're looking to do. So for me, just my game specifically I can't afford to try to step on the gas pedal because my margin for error just isn't there. So I got to make sure that I'm executing my pitches in my location in my count to my strength.
2: So today, bullpen game for the Braves. Tomorrow, bullpen game for the Dodgers. When you hear bullpen game in the postseason, what do you think?
0: It's, It's cringy, no doubt. It's cringy because that's a term that um, has gotten some negative connotation attached to it just because of, I think, the way the approach has felt like it's infiltrated the game of baseball, bullpenning. You're like, oh, you know what that means? We're talking seven different pitchers today. This game is easily going to be three and a half hours long because of the changes. And, like, it's just there's no flow to it. And that's not a – Super exciting product. That's a really tough product to market, which I think we're also understanding. And in the postseason, when you are presenting the game on its biggest stage and you're basically selling it, that becomes really, really tough. Like, just think about this, Tony. As we set today in this postseason, we've got roughly, I believe, on average, uh, the article said, Five minutes, about four minutes, 50 seconds or so in between balls in play. And that is a travesty. And that has to do with approach. That has to do with how good pitchers are. That has to do with how tough hitting is. But that also has to do with the amount of pitchers that we're running out there as a sport in these nine inning games. And and what it's doing to it. So it's uh it, it's not something that gets me super excited to hunker down in front of my TV when I hear today's a bullpen game. That's tough.
2: Yeah, you know it's going to be four hours, and there's you know um, do you think these players feel it that they're playing four four and a half hours? Uh, Cause I, I made the point that you know baseball players now get to the yard so early. Um, they want to have lunch are They, they're used to sitting around all day. So for them, whether they're there, three hours, three and a half, four, but do you think once you get to like four plus hours, the players are feeling it like, wow, this is a long game.
0: Not at all. Not right now. No. I mean, the, the, the conversation is, you know, Hey, you can ice it in the off season. You can sleep in the off season. We're exactly where we want it to be right now. So, the adrenaline of chasing the brass, right? Chasing that ring. The the adrenaline is going to take care of a lot during that four hour window. And that's why it's really important to be recovering as best you can during the off time, because you don't want to find yourself in a spot where you're running out of gas and that adrenaline isn't doing much for you. That's, That's tough, but Right now, this is exactly where these guys want to be. This is what you train at 5 in the morning when nobody's looking for so that you have this reserve to tap into.
2: Well, obviously, this devastating and shocking news of Ray Fossey passing away uh, really tore at all of our hearts because we all loved him and what he meant to us, not only in our careers, but uh, as just a great friend. And you've known Ray ever since you were a player, obviously traveling the country with him. And he was so personable with all the players, got to know all the players. And then the special relationship you end up having with him as you joined the broadcast team and how he welcomed you in and took, took you under his wing. And I know what Ray means to you. And I know you want to talk about the passing of Ray Fossey and how much he will be missed.
0: Yeah. County. That was man. That's uh, that's tough. That is, that is tough. Um, and, and, and like you said, I mean, 14 years that Ray Fosse was in my life and a part of my life. And in these last few years, to such a greater extent than I ever thought one would ever be possible, because you just don't, you don't ever picture yourself calling an icon, calling a, a hero a friend. You know, you don't picture yourself receiving phone calls from these individuals checking in on you and your family in the off season. Like you just don't, that's not something you compute. So when that becomes your reality, like it did for me, not only coming from the player side, but now being welcomed in to his booth and to his world along with Glenn Kuyper. I, I know what that meant to him. And and I always said, you know, one thing, one thing he made abundantly clear was if, if you're here to work, then I'm here for you. And that's all you had to show him was that you were about your business. And for me, I I just, I'm thankful that I was given a a decent work ethic and, and he saw that and that allowed me, the opportunity to, you know, to what I, what I called have class with him, to have a a master class each and every day I showed up to the ballpark and I'm not going to get that anymore. And, and that's tough, but I, I mean, I, I, I can't thank him enough for doing what he has done for the organization and for the game of baseball and, and for the craft of storytelling and sharing insight from the game you love. And the reason he was the best at it is because it wasn't fake. It was absolutely the true blue passion he was feeling at that very moment in time. And I think that's what, allowed me just the, just that little bit of being able to share that with him is is our genuine love for the game and, and the fact that he opened up and uh, allowed me to be a part of that it is something I will treasure forever
2: you know I think people really need to understand that, there are a lot of guys that had great careers that get into broadcasting, but they don't put in the work and they never leave the press box and they don't want to deal with the younger players and they don't want to deal with people. Like even like you can talk about when you're playing, Ray Fossey was in the clubhouse. He was in the clubhouse of the opposing team. He was always talking to people. He was always interviewing people. He never big-leagued anybody. He was always there. He was always pumping guys up. He loved the A's more than anything else. All he wanted to do, all he wanted to see was you guys be successful. Just talk about when you were a player, how Fossey was around and just always positive and always trying to do what was best for the ball club.
0: Well, you know... I, I think uh, I think Joe B. Joe Blanton uh, said something that resonates with anybody who's putting who, who has put the green and gold on, and you know you're going to get that big old bear paw extended your way coming down out of the tunnel, and he's going to he's going to shake your hand, squeeze the hell out of you, put his hand his other big paw up around your shoulder, your neck, and he's going to look right at you and tell you. You're good, man. You you are good, (laughs) I tell you. And you want to know what? You're probably not good at that moment in time. You've probably been as bad as you could probably ever be. And he's telling you that because he doesn't care that you're that bad right now. Because he said that same thing to you after your fifth scoreless outing in a row. And he just wants to let you know. He knows how hard this game was. He remembers, and he's just here to let you know, hey, I got your back, man. And if there's nobody else today that's going to tell you that you're still really good at baseball, I will. Not that it means anything to you, but I will. And and being able to have that...
1: I mean,
0: and and again, again, Tony, for me, I like it just because growing up in the Bay Area, like, you know who this man is, you know what he's meant to the club. So he, he's just, he's, he's a guy who's walking on clouds in my mind. And, And to have him wanting to be a part of what you've got going on, caring about what your grandmother's up to. And, and, you know, like, that's, that's just who he is.
2: Yeah, it was never fake. I mean, you know, that was the thing when you got phone calls from him in the off season or he knew something was going on in your life. Uh, you know, Dennis Eckersley coming up here at three thirty and he talked about how, you know, Ray was the kind of guy raised in the Midwest and, and raised, you know, to, to, to believe in God and, and to be a good person and uh, to care about people and lift people up. Ray wasn't the type of person that put people down. Ray was the type of person that lifted people up.
0: Well, that's that, and and that is what you, that's what you take away from being in his presence. Is we're, we're here, and we are so fortunate to be doing what we're doing. You know, like I, like I, County, I, I would get to. I made sure that was one of the first things that that I did was when I started working with with Voss was take note of when he was getting to the ballpark, how early or how how late and just taking note of his routine so that I knew where he was so that I could sort of force myself on him and, and corner him. And, you know, we would find ourselves at times, you know, late for whatever it is he had to go do. He had to go do a radio spot. Maybe he's got to come, come talk to you down the hall. And, and him and I are talking about something that happened two weeks ago, or maybe something that happened in 73. And I'm getting, I'm learning something about the game about our organization that I would have never otherwise even known. And to your point, it's because he just had that time for you. If you love the game and he could see that you were genuine, he had that time for you. There's, there was never a thought for him to to, to slow down and, and talk baseball with you.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I, I thought we did a really good tribute show for him. On Friday, and I know the A's are going to do it right as we're going to honor him in 2022 because he's the he's the one guy that bridged the gap from the 70s all the way to this year's team. And he was uh, a wonderful person, and we're going to miss him. I loved him. I know you loved him. Everybody around him loved him, and it's, uh, it's really sad, but um, he will always be one of the greatest A's of all time for his body of work. Hey, buddy, enjoy the playoffs, and let's talk soon.
0: Yes, sir, Tony. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me.
2: The great Dallas Braden right here on A's Cast Live. Well, now joining us, he is a radio Hall of Famer. He's the greatest sports radio personality that we have in the business. Of course, a wonderful television host on MLB Network. The great Mad Dog Chris Russo joins us here on A's Cast Live. Chris, how are you? How
5: have you been? Christopher, good to be on, buddy. How you doing? Things good?
2: Uh, things are really good, and the, this postseason has just been super exciting. It's been great watching you on MLB Network, and i just wondering, do we have deja vu all over again with the Dodgers and the Braves, like what happened last year in Arlington, Texas?
5: I think it's too much to ask for the Dodgers to win, you know, essentially six elimination games against Atlanta in back-to-back years. You remember, there's only been eight teams in the NLCS history to come from 3-1 down or ALCS history to win a series. Dodgers are one of the eight. they ask them to do it again is probably a little too much. Uh, that was a hell of a win last night. I did not think they'd win. Uh, you know, obviously with Scherzer and Ian Anderson on Saturday night, you got to give LA the edge. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the Braves will figure out a way to win a game at home. Uh, Charlie Morton uh, on Sunday's a big game pitcher. Bueller has not been as good. Uh, so I guess I can see L.A. winning game six, Braves win game seven. Uh, I think the uh, – listen, I wouldn't – I mean, I, I just think it's asking a little too much for the Dodgers. And they've had a you know very expansive year with 106 regular season wins, going down to the wire with the Giants. then to turn around and win three elimination games, six in a row. There's 7-0 in elimination games right now. To make it nine in two years without a loss, to me, is asking a little too much. So I do think Atlanta will win one of the next two. Hopefully, we'll get a game seven though on Sunday night.
2: Yeah, just how much bigger is it for Atlanta this year? Is that it's not you don't have to win these games in Arlington, Texas. Now you go back home to your own ballpark.
5: Big plus. Yeah, it's not a neutral site game. Uh, that's a huge plus to get the last at bat. That's a huge plus. Uh, I, I think the listen, I could see the Braves losing them all night and then having a sleepless Saturday night into Sunday. But I do think just the odds, you know, let's face it. You're up 3-2, two, two games at home. You're a pretty good team, winning culture. You've had a great stretch here. You should be able to win a game. Uh, the Dodgers are a little banged up, so you got to keep that in mind, too. Obviously, no Turner, no Joe Kelly, uh, no Muncie. I think I think Atlanta will get one of the two. I don't know which one. Uh, wouldn't it be stunned if it went all the way down to 1130 on Sunday night? But I think the Braves will get one of two.
2: Well, every great movie has to have a villain, and we have our villain. That's the Houston Astros, and they go back home where at Minute Maid Park they just they 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 don't lose. Do you give Boston any chance?
5: I give them a chance tonight. Uh, Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the Astros that I do against about Atlanta. I think it's very very difficult to have to win. uh, You know, very hard for the Red Sox as it is for LA. I gotta figure that the Astros win one of two in their ballpark. Now, listen, they don't have a good pitching matchup tonight. Of is very, very good. And obviously, you know, Garcia's been banged around here these two times the Red Sox have seen him. I also have a lot of confidence in Cora. They're 17-7 and with Cora as a postseason manager. And until the other day, they had never lost two in a row. He had been 5-0 and off defeats. Uh, I, I think the Red Sox will get tonight. I think the day off might help a little bit. Uh, tomorrow, you know, all, uh, all gloves off. Uh, I give the Astros the edge. I think there's a good chance you'll see game seven there too. But again, like Atlanta, Chris, I just don't see the Astros losing two in a row in that little building in back in, in um, you know, when they can go to the world series for Dusty. So I think the Astros will get a game. I think the Braves will get a game. They may not be into the seventh game, but I think each will win one of the two.
2: You know, we always love talking hall of fame with you. And, you know, I covered Dusty way back when, when he was with the, san francisco giants and you know the one thing that just dusty doesn't have on his resume is a world series title well let's say the astros just get to the world series does this finally get him over the line where you go come on look what he did as a player look what he's done as a manager all these different teams he's led to the postseason dusty baker should be in the baseball
5: hall of fame yeah i i don't think i think he's got to win one remember go hodges is not a hall of fame either and he had the 69 mets and Gil hit 370 career home runs. He was as good a player, probably a little better than Dusty, uh, and he hit 370 home runs, and he played for an iconic team in Brooklyn. So if he's not in the Hall of Fame, I don't know how you put Dusty in without a title. It's also not that easy to get into the Hall of Fame as a manager. There's not a lot of managers in the Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, Bochy's on his way. We understand that. Uh, But there's not a ton of them that are in that Hall of Fame. So to me, Dusty's going to have to win a title. Yes, I know five different teams postseason. Yes, I know uh, you know he's done a hell of a job, and he's, a, he's an excellent manager. And the playing thing can hurt, but I do think he needs a championship. So to me, Dusty's got to win one for some serious consideration. Uh, and I think he's got a hell of a – listen, I, I, does he have a chance? I don't know if they beat L.A. if L.A. actually got to a World Series. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Astros would be a slight favorite against Atlanta. If in fact those are the two participants there next week. So but I think he has to win one, Chris. I think you gotta win a championship to get in. You know, I always, uh, Don Nelson Don Nelson's barely in the Hall of Fame in basketball and he never coached in a final and he was a very good player too. So I think you gotta win a title. Let's have him win a title before we talk about Hall of Fame candidacy.
2: I don't want to get away from the playoffs, but I love when you guys do the Hall of Fame show with you and Brian Kenny on MLB Network and you guys start chalking it up. And I just think about, you know, this is the last hurrah on the ballot when you look at guys like Bonds, Clemens, Schilling. Do you think any of these guys get in?
5: I think Schilling's got a good chance to get in. I know he doesn't want to get in now. Because he doesn't like the procedure. I think he's eventually, you know, he's got 60-something percent of the vote. I think he would jump. I think he would barely get in. Uh, I don't think Bonds and Clemens will. Um, uh, But I do think that, uh, you know, I think those two guys are too far behind last year in the ballot. I don't see them getting the 75%. I can see Schilling making it. So from a Schilling perspective, I can see it. Uh, You know, Mussina made it a couple years ago. Schilling's as good as Mussina. Uh, You know, you can make an argument that Schilling in a big game is better than Mussina. Mussina, better body of work Uh, than Kurt. uh, I think Schilling will get in. You know, much to his uh, chagrin, because he's annoyed that he's had to wait this long. But I think Schilling, more than Bats and Clemens, Chris, for getting the Hall of Fame this year.
2: You know, I told our audience that there's no chance Billy Bean is going to work for the Mets. We had Billy on the program recently. We had a really long interview with him that we did, because we, you know, we normally do. And I can't wait to have you on our set where we actually do our show during the season from the field. And Bean has always talked about, hey, listen, I want to be able to go to Starbucks And no one knows who I am. And that's why he's so comfortable here in the East Bay. And uh, I don't see him going anywhere unless he's going to bolt the soccer somewhere else. But when you look at that Mets job, because Billy has said it is a good job, what is going on with the Mets? Why is it so hard for them to find the right people?
5: Well, that's a very fair point. Now, you know, they had Juice, they had the uh, Zachs, they had the two guys there, Porter and Scott. Both have, uh, you know, run into some problems, so they're out. Um, you know, uh, I don't, you know, oh, you figured Theo wasn't going to take the job. I think they'd love to get Dave Stearns, but these mid-market teams do not want to be proving grounds for the major-market teams with their executives. Stearns has got two years left in his contract, uh, so they couldn't get him. Uh, you know, I know they wanted to talk to Bean. and know that Billy took his name out of the hat there. Um, you know, you can make an argument that Billy needs to win a championship to go to the Hall of Fame. That's my argument. You can say that what he, what he's done in Oakland is is warranted. Uh, I like to have a championship, and he doesn't have that. I understand the A's, uh, you know, are working from behind with their payroll. I thought he might take that job. I don't know what the reason was why he said no. I know he's got no uh, ownership interest. Maybe he would have had a device uh, divest himself of that. I thought he might take it, so that did surprise me. Uh, you know, I'm hearing Josh Burns. Maybe that's a possibility. Uh, you know, maybe owners or GMs are a little worried about Steve Cohen. And, oh, he's going to be on that Twitter feed. Remember, to be a GM, you've got to control your owner. You can control, you know, the message that is sent out to the media. You can control your manager. You can control your front office. But the one person you cannot control is your owner. And Cohen is a guy, he's a longtime Met fan. He wants to be a talk show host. And Cohen is one of those guys that is going to tweet, going to tell you what is on his mind. And I think that scares the people, uh, scares a few people off. So uh, I think that is something that you get, what are you going to do? Tell the owner not to tweet? He can do anything he wants, not the team. So from that standpoint, that is something that maybe it bothers uh, some prospective GMs. They get somebody, I don't think it's Sandy. Uh, I I think it's the owner who, and I think it's, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, the Mets haven't won in a long time. They got the Yankees here. Fan base can be fickle. The Mets are all going after cream of the crop guys. I mean, it's not like they're going after assistant GMs. I mean, Stearns is a GM. He's signed. He's a big GM. Obviously, Theo won two championships going to the Hall of Fame. Billy, big-time GM. It's not like they're going off guys that we've never heard of. They're going off the top of the charts there. And, you know, so far they have been a little unlucky. they get somebody. I'm hearing Burns of L.A. Uh, he's talked about how he wants to build his franchise like the Dodgers do with theirs. We shall see if that's the person who they end up getting.
2: Let's end on this. You know, a few years ago, I got a new car and just addicted when I'm in my car to XM and listening to your channel, which is second to none. And I also love uh, MLB Radio, Channel 89, which is fantastic. And and I think about us as you do it on TV. We do it here where we talk baseball year round, right? There's not many people that do a year-around baseball show. And it just makes me think of the CBA coming up here uh, in December. There's so much money to be made by owners. There's so much money to be made by players. You think that cooler heads, I I know Tony Clark, I played baseball with him as a kid, and I just want to reach out to Tony. There's too much money to screw this thing up. How do you think this is going to play out with this, this CBA coming up here in December?
5: I don't think we're going to have a, a, a typical winner. I think there'll be major problems in December, January. I think maybe by the beginning of spring training will be a little pressure on a deadline. I think then maybe you'll see something. I know a lot of people think that, uh, you know, the players are making a mistake if they rush a new deal in March because then you're going to have a bunch of free agents who are going to be scrambling for teams, and that is not a positive. But the players want to win here in the worst way, I think they probably want the system change, which I don't think they're entirely going to get. Uh, I think there's a major problem, too, because I don't think the owners know exactly who they are negotiating with. I think a lot of it has to do with Boris. I think, you know, Bruce Meyer worked work for him. I think Boris controls a lot with what's going on with the union. And, you know, he can be an extremist at times. So that will be something that will be bear, will, that will be bear, bear watching. Um, I, you know, Manfred is a very good negotiator. He's done this for 25 years. I don't think Bruce Meyer and Dan Halem love each other. I think that's another problem. I think this will take a while. Um, I don't think next year will be compromised. I think the winter time will, I think it will take a while. I'd be very surprised if by December 1st, there's a deal. I think it will be sometime, you know, late spring and maybe two, three weeks before the season that, that when the pressure really hits. If they don't have it in the wintertime, they don't have it in the wintertime. They miss the winter meetings, no big deal. Uh, You know, you got plenty of time to put your teams together if they have a a deal before spring training. I think the real deadline is spring training, not December 1st. I think eventually you'll get a deal, but I don't think you're going to get a deal there necessarily, Chris, by by 12-1. I think it's going to be later than that, to be honest with you.
2: Well, the last time we were all together was, and we saw you in person, was the winter meetings in San Diego, and that was the big splash there by Garrett Cole. Even if we don't have a deal yet, could you see any of the big name guys signing
1: before?
5: Uh, I don't. Uh, I think they're going to want to, I think GMs are going to want to know what the system is. Uh, They're going to want to know if there's a luxury cap increase or decrease. They're going to want to know if there is a floor. We know there'd be a ceiling. Will there be a floor? which if there was, that would increase uh, teams being interested in big free agents. Uh, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think November, first off, the World Series doesn't end until that first week in November. So you only got three weeks to go after that until you have uh, into the death, until the deal is up, expires. Again, I think the players want to win in the worst way, enough of getting omelets in spring training, which is what they wanted last time, and you know single rows on buses in spring training. I think they want something concrete. I think it will take a while. I don't think you're going to have the deal done right away. I don't think there's going to be a lot of winter activity in baseball. And this is just me talking. I don't know. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think by, you know, March 1st, I think you'll see some movement, not by December 1st.
2: Well, he is the GOAT, ladies and gentlemen, whether it's MLB Network or it is SiriusXM, he's the Hall of Famer, Chris Russo. Chris, we always appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and let's talk soon.
5: Good job, Chris. Thanks for having me on, pal. Always a pleasure. Always appreciate.
2: Chip, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's.
5: Hey, how you doing, Chris?
2: Uh, We're excited for you guys. Uh, You know, you know, we were just talking about it, you know, for, for a good part of our lives. It seemed like the Braves were in the playoffs, if not the World Series every year. You know all the 14 straight years win the division, which is one of the great runs in the history of the game, but this could be the first time back to the World Series since 1999. I think everybody's got to be juiced down there in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, pretty fired up. Obviously uh, up three games to one, they would have liked to have finished it off yesterday, but that didn't happen, but uh, they like where their positioning is, uh, coming home with uh, two of their hottest pitchers, home field advantage, and uh, three games to two series lead, and look, everybody in America wants to beat the Dodgers, so <laughs> hopefully... Hopefully the Braves will truly uh, be America's team starting tomorrow night.
2: Yeah, we saw this last year, but wouldn't you say the big difference is closing the Dodgers out at home versus Arlington, Texas, is a whole different deal?
0: That's part of it, and this is a different team, quite obviously. Last year, I think the Braves pitching was kind of in a state, not kind of. It was in a state of flux. You really never knew what you were going to get from the likes of Ian Anderson and Max Freed and others. Uh, but I think the Braves are very good about where they are. And, yeah, home field advantage, it's something you work for. Uh, I know that fans don't understand why the Dodgers, with 100-plus wins, are uh, the, the road team, as it were. But that's the premium of winning your division. And that's why you work so hard to do that for situations like this. And, look, at the Braves advance, the tables turned, the American League team would have the home field advantage should Atlanta get that far. But, look, uh, you work hard over 161 or 162 games to – uh, to get the, the last at bat in the last game you play. And that's where the Braves are. And hopefully they'll be able to take advantage of that and not go to game seven on Sunday.
2: Yeah, the Braves have been so tough at home in this postseason. They're winning every game. And I can tell you out here, it, you know, when, when it was Giants-Dodgers, everybody had this narrative that whoever wins this series is now the favorite to win the World Series. And, of course, we have the A's connections on your guys' staff. You know, we've had Walt Weiss on the program, Ron Washington on the program recently, and we talked to them about how hot the Braves were. And I was kind of like, slow down on this Giants-Dodgers thing because the key to being in the postseason is being hot in the postseason. And the Braves came in with a lot of confidence, and they came in red hot. and That's a, da- that's a dangerous combination.
0: Yeah, it's like a hockey team getting a hot goaltender in the postseason. Uh, that's what you want. You're right. You want to play well, pitch well, catch the ball. And I think what's encouraging for Atlanta, at least in this series, uh, in the first five games, they've played one clean game, one, and they won that one handily, nine to two. Uh, if the Braves play a clean game, uh, you know, one of the best defenses in all of baseball, certainly in the National League, uh, they've got power up and down their lineup. Their whole infield, with the exception of Dansby Swanson, hit over 30 home runs this year. Uh, They've got three really good starting pitchers, although Max Freed hasn't shown that yet uh, in this series for Atlanta. Uh, They have a very good, very deep, very rested bullpen that doesn't have to play matchup, which is nice. And as you said, they've got home field advantage. So Look, it's there for the taking, but if you're an Atlanta sports fan, you know the tortured history of sports teams in this region. Uh, Just when you feel like you're one step away from grabbing the golden ring, you step into quicksand and you drown. So they know that finishing off the Dodgers is not going to be easy. They they showed that last night. They're the defending world champions for a reason. The Braves are staring down a future Hall of Famer tomorrow night in Max Scherzer. They're staring down Walker Buehler potentially in Game 7. And uh, look, they know that they're going to have to play a clean game, not a perfect game, but a clean game in all aspects to have a chance to knock them off. And they feel very confident, as I said, with the way they're playing, by and large, of finishing that off here at home tomorrow night.
2: You know, when you start bringing in a starter as a reliever, and we know the history, like watching Randy Johnson or Madison Bumgarner, it can be great entertainment. But then it can flip on you. And we saw that with Scherzer and we've seen it with Nathan Avaldi and he's going to go tonight uh down in Houston like it's it, it can it can really pump you up and get everybody excited when the starter comes in and he's he's closing games out but if it doesn't go well for you and then all of a sudden now your guy is tired boy that's going to be interesting to see what Scherzer what don't you think it's going to be interesting to see what does Scherzer have tomorrow
0: well, he's on regular rest. That's going to help him. He was tired in his last start, and he said as much. He said it was just fatigue in his shoulder. Uh, look, the, the, the other side of that coin from the Dodgers' perspective is by having the two bullpen games early in the series, they now set up Scherzer and Butler on regular rest for games six and seven. If the Dodgers end up winning the series, whatever their strategy was, however ill-advised it seemed to be on paper and in performance up to that point, if it works, it works. I don't like it. I'm not a big fan of the opener, but it's uh, it's part of the game now. It's It creates zero flow in the game. I mean, in this series alone, I think the Dodgers have made something like 35 pitching changes in five games. In four of the five games so far, they've used seven pitchers or more against Atlanta. That's not entertaining baseball as far as I'm concerned. And it's it's somewhat ironic that the Dodgers, who at the beginning of the season were so loaded and so deep in starting pitching, Now are, quite frankly, with all due respect to Scherzer and Bueller, at least as far as numbers are concerned, kind of pitching poor. And remember, they don't have David Price, they don't have uh, Trevor Bauer, and they don't have Clayton Kershaw, all of whom have won Cy Young Awards. Those guys are on the sidelines for them, and they don't have Max Muncy, and they don't have Justin Turner either. So those are a lot of players not in uniform for the Dodgers, but as we saw last night with Chris Taylor and A.J. Pollock, Sometimes the understudies steal the limelight, and those are usually the guys that make the difference. Hopefully our guys will be the case, and hopefully in the last two games of the series, should it get that far, we'll see dominant starting pitching from both teams because that's what I think makes, in my opinion, the most exciting playoff baseball.
2: Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you got these games that are four and a half hours. They have no rhythm to it. And I understand managers in front office. Their job is to play by the rules and win games, whether it's whether it's pretty or it's ugly. It's all about the W. But for us baseball fans, I mean, sitting around watching four and a half hours, not a lot of people have four and a half hours just to sit in one place. It's not easy to do.
0: It's not. But again, the the strategy is what it is. And the strategy is there because it works. Uh, Hitters talk about it. It's like making four pinch hit appearances every game for every batter. And you see it. The the Braves won their bullpen game. Uh, You know, the Dodgers won theirs. Uh, It's just it's it's a very, very difficult thing. I wish that there was some way to legislate it. You can use an opener all you want, but he's got to get nine outs or seven outs or six outs, something like that. Uh, but that'll never happen, quite obviously. Uh, but I, it frustrates me that when we hear front offices and analytics people say, "Well, the numbers say that a, our starting pitcher can't get through a lineup a third time." Maybe that's true, but what is Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball or these organizations doing to their young pitchers to teach them how to do it? And that in therein lies the problem: there, the, the pitch counts, the the arbitrary or the arbitrary pitch counts that have no basis in how a guy's the pitching, as far as the eye test is concerned. Your job is to get, uh, uh, you know, 12 outs or 15 outs and then turn it over the bullpen. And then everyone acts surprised when the bullpen gate opens and you have two guys who have no off nights and you turn a win into a loss. As a baseball old timer or a dinosaur, as it were, that really, really frustrates me. But uh, I don't think I'm the guy that's going to put that genie back in the bottle. But as I said, when you get a well-pitched game by a starter and the cat and mouse game of can he get those critical outs in the seventh inning when he faces Freddie Freeman or Jock Peterson, uh, you know, or Corey Seager or Trey Turner for a third time? Those are the stories that make for October heroism. And those are the stories that sadly, I think, get wasted and pushed to the side with all these uh, bullpen maneuvers and matchup and, and analytical driven decisions. It's not baseball to me, or at least as entertaining as it used to be. And uh, as I said, it's still a great game, still fun. But it's something uh, very, very foreign to many of us who grew up loving the game the way it was played 30, 40 years ago.
2: I can't think of you as a dinosaur. I just, I still remember you as the young guy.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it seemed like only yesterday I was starting, but uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was 30 plus years ago. Uh, this, this was my 28th year doing major league baseball, believe it or not. And, uh, it's gone by in a flash. Like I said, it's still the greatest game, still the greatest athletes. Uh, I I tell my partner, Jeff, Brian, all the time. I'm amazed that anybody ever gets a hit ever, uh, with the talent that these guys have on the mound. And as hard as these guys throw in the deception with which they throw it, uh, as I said, though, I, I will always have a place in my heart growing up in St. Louis, watching guys like John Tudor and Bob Gibson and Steve Carlton and John Denny and the likes of that. Uh, going through lineups and, and pitching complete games and closers pitching more than three outs to get uh, in, to get saves like Goose Gossage. I'm not saying they were better. I'm just saying it was different. And for me, it was that kind of excitement of, hey, he got you the first time, but can't get him the second time or the third time that I thought built the October drama to its peak.
2: We joke about this all the time because, you know, our guy's Dave Stewart was a great big game pitcher. But let's yeah. go back to your guy, Bob Gibson. Can you imagine trying to come out and pull Bob Gibson in the third inning?
0: Uh, no, I you know Bob Gibson, a famous story about Bob Gibson. Uh, he was pitching in a, in a spring training game and a young guy came up from the minor leagues and was, you know, nervous and was, was uh, stepping in the batter's box for the first time. And he actually held his hand up to the umpire to call time. And he started digging a hole uh, to give himself a little bit of a toehold. And Bob Gibson came off the mound and said to that kid, dig it deeper and I'll fill you with it. And the kid called time again, got on his hands and knees and filled the hole in, stood back in the batter's box, and Gibson smoked him with the first pitch in a spring <laughs> training game. Uh, I think Bill White, when he got traded to the Phillies, first time uh, he faced Bob Gibson, they were roommates with the Cardinals. First time he saw him, Bob Gibson, nailed him in the ribs. Uh, look, it was a different time then. It really was a different time. Again, not saying it's better. I think today's players are, are better conditioned, better athletes, trained to the hilt, have so much more raw athletic talent than they had, uh, as I said, back in the dinosaur days, as you call them. But I think the knowledge of baseball and playing hard-nosed baseball and uh, you know the game at second base, the, the, the duel between a base runner, base stealer, and the second baseman and the shortstop, the collisions at the plate, all of those little things in so many ways that built, as I said, October drama – Those things are missing in large part in the game now. And as again, just my own personal opinion, those are things I really, really miss, especially in the big moments of postseason baseball this year.
2: You know, the thing about, you know, holding runners, talk about what people used to do. The Dodgers are 16 for 16. And that's uh, what, 11 Mm -hmm. steals in five games in this series. It's like pitchers are just not holding runners whatsoever. What are you seeing?
1: Well, they don't
0: practice it. And the reason they don't practice it is nobody steals anymore. There is very little inherent pressure placed on pitchers because teams sit back and they want to hit home runs. Uh, just think about not just stolen bases, the art of a secondary lead. How many close plays have we seen at the plate in the postseason all around Major League Baseball because guys don't get good secondary leads. The art of base running. It's a big thing in postseason. 90 feet is worth an incalculable amount in close baseball games. But Uh, Again, I I, I said it before, I grew up watching Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and Ozzie Smith and all those guys with the St. Louis Cardinals beating the ball in the turf and using their speed and putting pressure on teams with their legs. Uh, That has kind of gone the way of the Dodo with the launch angle craze because teams look at it analytically, and I'm sure the numbers bear this out, the risk of getting thrown out is higher uh, or not as beneficial as the possibility of hitting a two run or three run homer so teams are station to station everybody is an american league dh team now even though in our side of things we play in the national league um, and that's why you see it in postseason teams that can run and do run give opposing pitching staffs fits because as you said over 162 games it's not that they're not prepared for it they're just not used to defending it and i think you, you said it very well the dodgers are perfect against the braves fortunately it has to cost atlanta the series
2: You know, I think about your, you know, we have a great first baseman in Matt Olson who has it all. His defense is phenomenal. He hits bombs. I think about the guy that you have. Freddie Freeman is such a special player, an all-around player, a leader in your clubhouse. Talk about what, what it's like to be around him on an everyday basis.
0: Great human being, wonderful person, great family man, wonderful father. What you see is what you get. The smiling face is right there. I mean, Freddie's, uh, parent Canadian. And I say this respectfully, you know, have you ever met a mean Canadian? No. Uh, you know, I mean, he's, and that's, that's, that, that's what, I mean, he's just polite to a T. He's nice. He's friendly. He, you know, there are days where he doesn't want to talk to the media, but he'll talk to us because he knows we have a job to do. Uh, he's just a consummate pro. I mean, this year, Freddie got off to a terrible start. Uh, Two new babies at home, missed them terribly. We started with a lot of road games, spring training. Uh, Family wasn't around spring training a lot because of the COVID concerns and the vaccinations were just starting. Uh, That really affected him. Uh, And then once he got home and started getting the groove from May 6th or 7th on, he hit well over 300 for the Braves and played like the MVP that he is uh, in in the National League. Uh, Look, he's unsigned. We're hopeful that he'll be back next year right he's a gold glove defender he's a middle of the order bat he's the face of a franchise he's the kind of guy that wants to play every inning of every game and uh you know I, i believe that he's on his way to a hall of fame career and having his number retired in atlanta whenever he decides to end his career so uh the highest compliment i can give him is you know if i had a if he was 21 years old and i had a daughter and that's the kind of baseball player i hope he would meet and uh uh, sadly for my 24-year-old daughter, he's married and has three kids. But, I, you know, I, I love watching him play. And I really enjoy my time around him for sure.
2: You know, I think about baseball legends, and one of the tough things is when we lose legends, and we just lost our own Ray Fossey, which was very, very tough for our fan base. And I was just thinking about your grandfather. I still have a T-shirt. I think it was like 2000 or 2001. I went to to the Harry Carey restaurant in Chicago. It's, it's your grandfather on the front of the shirt. I still have that T-shirt. It's one of the great T-shirts that I have from all my travels and sports. But, you know, I, I think enough times and I think about your family, the legends in your family and yourself. We, we don't tell everybody how much we love them and what they mean to us when, when they're here. And it's just it's sad when we lose some of baseball's greats.
0: Yeah, I, I, was, I was heartbroken when I heard about Ray's passing. Number one, I didn't know he was ill. I, that says a lot about who he is. Uh, you know, We all know his history and Pete Rose and all that kind of stuff. And my interactions with him, he never, never, ever let on that that bothered him. I'm sure it did. Uh, but he was always so kind, always so informative, always there with a smile on his face. And look, we saw the A's once every six years out in Oakland. We almost never saw them in Atlanta. Um, but my days with Seattle, he was so helpful and so kind and um just a, you know as you said a, a legendary person and I, I guess in one way that's one of the the, the unthought of benefits of our job in that w- at, when we're long gone you know our, our our calls of the big moments of the franchise will live on forever and in that way i guess in the minds of many ray's going to be immortal and, and he really will be he's, he's he was just a wonderful person a great ambassador for our sport great ambassador for the aids organization and uh I'm just so sorry that we didn't get to see him uh, except for, you know, I guess two or three years ago when the Braves were out West. And even then it was a real, real joy and a real treat. And uh, the A's franchise, that broadcast will be a much lesser place with all due respect to those who remain without him uh, being behind the microphone in the future.
2: Well, we told Ron Washington, this, we told Walt Weiss, this, and I'll tell you, Everybody out here, we're rooting for you against the Dodgers. So uh, good luck to your Braves, and hopefully we can talk during the World Series. That
0: would be great. I appreciate it, and thank you for uh, sending us Walt Weiss and Ron Washington. They're uh, they're wonderful guys, great people. Love Wash, and uh, <laughs> he's a live wire, man. If you don't want the truth, don't talk to Ron Washington. <laughs> he's he's the hardest working man in baseball, and a real treat and a real treasure. And while I know he wants to be a manager again next year, and I hope he gets an opportunity selfishly, I hope he stays with the Braves the rest of his days because he's really had an amazing impact, uh, not just on our players, but our franchise. And uh, he's, he's going to be an asset wherever he stays or wherever he goes. And I know many of those lessons were honed with your great organization. So thank you in advance for uh, for sending both of us those guys. Uh, they're, they're really uh, wonderful treasures and wonderful people and wonderful parts of our organization.
2: Well, good luck tomorrow night.
0: Thank you very much. We'll take all the help we can get. Take care. Okay, you too. Thank you.
2: The great Chip Carey of the Carey family. Hi. How are you, Carey? I'm a Bud man and a Cub fan. Well, it's great to have him back here on A's Hass. He's a baseball Hall of Famer. He's an A's Hall of Famer. He's an American League Cy Young Award winner. He's American League MVP. He's one of the great pitchers of all time. Dennis Eckersley is with us once again. Eck, how are you?
0: Very good. Thanks, Chris.
2: Well, one of the reasons that we brought you on is to talk about uh, your friend, your dear friend, Ray Fossey, I know you guys had a great relationship. I mean, we all loved Ray, what he meant to all of us in our lives. And us, the the, the hear about the passing was very, very tough. And I know it was tough for you.
0: Yeah, it was. I, you know, I know he left in August, but I didn't, it, you know, this happened so soon. I think it take took everybody a little off guard. So I don't know. It's just so fresh right now. I just, you know, have so much history with Ray and I respected him so much. And he was a dear friend. So it's really sad.
2: Yeah. And I think about your guys time together and I'll never forget being in Cleveland, with the ball club and they have that video that they run to get the fans all hyped up. And it's, it's always <laughs> going to be that great, that, that, for some reason that person from the TV station came down when they heard you were throwing a no hitter and they're always going to show that video. That's always going to link you to your no hitter and Ray Fossey.
0: Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I'm so proud of that. You know, the fact that he was, he caught that. I mean, uh, that was the start of everything for you know our relationship really. And, uh, you know, 40 years later, here we are. Um, but I love the fact that we're always connected with that. And that, that really, that's that's really how it went, you know. After he left there, he didn't, he uh, retired right after that. And I met up with him in Oakland right before we went on that run. So he was part of such, such a big, big part of my life, you know. Uh, so many good fond memories, especially, you know, a guy like him that was in the booth, And he had such a great relationship with so many players. You know, he was almost like a coach that was uh, doing the broadcast, at least for me.
2: Yeah, and you think about everybody who came through Oakland and then all the road trip. He's got thousands of interviews with so many people. It was amazing. Like, nobody interviewed more people than Ray Fossey.
0: Well, the perfect guy for it, right? Midwest
2: guy, as friendly as can be.
0: Could talk to absolutely anybody, and loved the game, and was you know he, he was part of everything. He was down on the field, both clubhouses. I mean, totally immersed in it, you know. And, and you know, I love the fact the passion that he had was incredible. I mean, it really was for somebody to do that for so long. And like I said, all the all the interviews we do, how many people that you know he was uh, uh, that he knew, you know, in some way or another. Um, nobody like him. It's going. To, he's going to be missed. The Coliseum will never be the same. He was a fixture.
2: Yeah, and I don't know how you replace a, a personality and a person like Ray Fossey. And I just got to think, I mean, you're a little bit younger than he was. What was it like when you came up and his kind of leadership and as a catcher guided you through? See, I
0: didn't see him when he first broke in because he had some power,
2: you know, and then he got the Pete Rose
0: thing, and he didn't have the same power, but he was always a great catcher always a great catcher and I had so much respect for him coming over from the A's you know all the guys that he caught there Catfish, Raleigh, whatever just a ton of guys and um, um, then he came over there and he, I tell you what he took control more than anything else I mean he was uh, uh, for me was difficult because you know he put down a finger and he would never change and you know, he wanted to do what he wanted to do and it was like a battle <laughs> at the beginning but uh that, that's what I'll remember. And I'll remember, um, you know, he had his, his finger, his throwing hand was all mangled. His, if you ever shook his hand, his fingers are all crooked. And uh, he'd try to throw the ball back to you, you know, in between pitches, whatever. And he'd always flip it, you know. He'd, he'd flip it, almost needed sunglasses <laughs> to catch it on the mound. But he had that, and I'll never forget that. But he was just a great catcher, great throwing catcher, but really took control of the game. Um I just have such great memories of him.
2: Yeah. You think about, and you mentioned how hard he worked in both clubhouses and Ray just year after year, adapted to the players and he loved the game and he loved the players. As you said, he never big leagued anybody. He worked harder than anybody. And whether it was like your guys' group with Conseco, Maguire, and Ricky and Stu, or even the players now of 2021, just talk about how how relatable he was to the guys that were actually on the field.
0: That's a difficult thing to do nowadays. You know, there's a generational gap without a doubt. And so you know, when Ray was you know seventy years old. So you're talking about a couple of generations, and and I know by doing the job now how difficult that is. And he just he never skipped a beat, you know. I, I, he was just so um, um, approachable. I mean, and, and you know nowadays it, that's difficult with that gap, you know, in time. And, and the players are you know, obviously different each and every generation. But you know, for somebody to do it that long and to have relationships with. So many players and so many age groups. It says a lot about who he is.
2: You know, you grew up here in the Bay Area, and you remember when the A's showed up to Oakland. And, And to me, you look at those teams that won three straight World Series, which was an amazing run. You know, to me, having Ray around for all these years, it was almost like Ray kept those teams alive. People still remembered those teams because Ray was in the booth every night with that World Series ring on, that you never forgot the greatness. I mean, you were a teenager at the time, right?
3: Well,
0: I had just signed a pro contract because I graduated in 72, so that's right there. And that's my sweet spot, 72, 3, and 4, and I broke into the big leagues in 75. So I saw all of that. And you know that's why it was sort of a little intimidating having Ray come around in '76 and '77. But I, you know, he did carry that around, and that gets lost in all this. You know how it is. I mean, uh, that there, there was a dynasty, really. Nothing there was nothing like that back then. And you know, they they didn't. I, I. It's great that that Ray could carry that around. He was proud of it, and he should have been.
2: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And going to what you're doing right now, uh, I'm not sure what you're doing around the Boston Red Sox right now, but wow, what an interesting series between the Red Sox and the Astros. It's taken four-plus hours every night, but it is a lot of great action.
0: It is, it is. You know, you, you see, whatever team gets hot, you know, you get hot. You, you get in the playoffs, you get hot. Anybody can win. The Red Sox are swinging the bat, not necessarily last night, but Houston can swing the bats too that's going to be a good one. I mean, last night was so big for Houston to win that game. So anything can happen. We'll find out in a few hours.
2: You know, if you're a wild card team and you are where you are at this point, are you playing with house money?
0: I think so. I mean, you know, the Red Sox try to act like, you know, no one expected us to be there. Well, you know, they played so great for the first half of the season. You think about that lineup, they can hit. I mean, when you come from last place to where they did this year, I guess you know nobody picked them to win. But you watch them play; I mean, they're as good as anybody. They've got good enough pitching to to get to where they are right now. So I don't I don't necessarily think it's a surprise.
2: Hey, I you know we just had your old manager on Tony La Russa, and the Hall of Famer. We know how important it is to have a great manager. But if you think of what the Red Sox were last year, and you bring Alex Cora back and hear that, like what 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 magic does this guy have?
0: I mean, I tell you what, I mean, you know how the game is played now anyway. You have to mix and match. And they've been mixing and matching, everybody's mixing and matching from five innings on, right? All season long. And then and then the playoffs, look at all the pitchers they've been using. So you need somebody that knows what he's doing. And you know, the manager's only as good as how well the the guys they he brings in. And that's the magic, I think, for Cora. You know, how and you know, in the playoffs you do it different anyway. You're gonna You know, you starting pitchers out of the bullpen, which he's done well back when they won it in 2018. So once again, the right guy is managing that club. There's more, you know, you talk about being magic, but he knows what he's doing. The guy is really smart and the players play for him. That's, you know, that's half the battle.
2: You know, I want you to put your starters hat on. Everybody, you know, everybody remembers you as a great reliever, but also you won over a hundred games in the big leagues as a starter. We haven't seen one Astro starter get through the third inning. It's like everybody used to talk about momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher, but we don't even. I mean, the relievers are starting. Uh, starters can't even get through four. What do you think about starting pitching now in modern day baseball in the postseason? Ah, uh, well, you know, the postseason's different, I guess. Okay. But as far as the
0: whole, you know, during the middle of the season, nobody's going to face that hitter the third time around. That's what it all comes down to. And you've got 14 men, you know, pitching staff, 14 guys. you got 10 guys, nine guys in the bullpen. So that's the way the game has gone. And, and you've got to, uh, you know, figure it out that way. I mean, you, you could sit around and talk all you want about, oh, they don't complete any more games. Well, that's, that's history, pal. This is what's happening now, and you have to adjust to it.
2: Let's end on this. We recently had Billy Bean on the program, and Billy was talking about he and Sandy Alderson used to run poles in the outfield without their shirts on, and we were laughing (laughs) about it. And then he said, hey, Eckersley Eckersley used to be running down Hagenberger in shorts and no shirt. Can you confirm that? Did you used to do that? I don't
0: know about the no shirt. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe briefly, right? But, oh, I i mean, I used to be crazy runner. You know, it, it, I mean, um, it, it just helped my confidence. I didn't need to be a marathoner, but it sure did help my head, you know?
2: Well, I'll tell you what. I wish I could have watched you play quarterback in high school. I bet you slinged <laughs> it. I bet you slinged it around back in the day.
0: Well, they wouldn't let me sling it. They, they, everybody just ran the ball back in those days. You know, very conservative. And I never would have made it. I picked the right sport. That's all I know.
2: No question. You're a Hall of Famer. You're also an A's Hall of Famer. And you know how much you mean to this fan base. Good luck the rest of the way with the Boston Red Sox. And let's talk in the offseason. Be well, be safe. And I know you got grandkids. Enjoy the family in the offseason.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. This has
1: been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.